Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Here we go. It is a Wednesday edition of the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. We've got a hot baseball team all of a sudden, five in a row. Lou Brown, that's the streak where I come from. But they did it in a fashion that we need to discuss. Phillies beat the Brewers last night. Alec Bohm and Matt Veerling, welcome. As the Phillies come from behind, down 2-1 in the ninth against a guy in Josh Hader who had not given up a run since July of last year. Can you imagine if your closer came in and basically never gave up a run? He is the anti-Phillies bullpen. Josh Hader himself has not given up a run until last night since July of last year. And he gave up two in one inning last night. As the Phillies come from behind to beat the the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, and listen, we talked about the other day. Josh asked the question to me: What are some of the things about this team over the weekend when they got the sweep? And what are some of the things that stood out? Well, they had timely hits. They made most of the plays in the field defensively. They didn't have you know these plays where they had to play in the game on Sunday where Boom double clutched and had to play and Hoskins. Listen, they weren't perfect defensively, but last night, well pitched game. Great to see Suarez. You know he had been a guy struggling with his command, and I thought last night uh, he looked probably the best he has all season, if you will. Um, he throws a great game. He gives you a great start last night, but this is where it gets interesting. Okay. I got Suarez. He gives me seven strong innings, no walks. That's been a little bit of bugaboo for him. He gives up the six hits, but only the two runs. You give me seven innings, two runs, five strikeouts. I give you quality start on that. I'm not one of you. I'm not these, this guy that's going to give you the quality start for five innings. Give me seven, dude. Suarez. Seven innings, and this is where I thought it was interesting. Rob Thompson, what do you do? He turns it over to Brogdon last night. You know, I feel like Brogdon is going to become an important piece of this bullpen. Brogdon, Dominguez, Hand. I want to start to see those guys becoming a little bit more prominent. He goes to Brogdon. We can get into the Knable stuff. Three walks in the inning last night. You can't have that. Three walks. He doesn't give up a run. But the three walks is going to come back and get you. You're not going to win Major League Baseball games with your closer walking three guys. It's not like he's got a 102-mile-per-hour fastball where he can just rev it up and blow the fastball by guys and strike people out. Canable right now, to me, is a one-pitch pitcher. That curveball's not working. He's having a big-time problem with his command. He's having big-time problem with a secondary pitch. And he wiggled his way out last night, but 
There is a conversation to be had there. Couple things in the game. I thought, you know, Hader, who of course comes in, and it's funny because Tom McCarthy, if you're watching the broadcast last night, said, hey, he hasn't given up a run all season long. And Ruben Amaro says, well, how about tonight? And uh, you're thinking, yeah, okay. You know, every time you watch one of those Phillies games, when they're a little late, you know, this was an 8 o'clock start because it's central time. A little different from when you're playing the Dodgers or the Padres or the Giants and you get those 10, 10 uh, or 10.30 starts. But when it's late at night like that and you're on the road, you just feel like, oh, nothing's going to go our way. And then, boom, last night, Bohm hits the homer. Veerling hits the homer. McCutcheon, um, not McCutcheon, uh, Hayter, um gives up the two runs, something he hasn't done since July of last year. I mean, you're starting to feel like, okay, this Phillies team maybe has a little different mojo all of a sudden. You heard, I'm sure some of you had saw, if you're on social media, there's a manager's press conference after the game. Now, when they're on the road, they don't sit in the press conference room. He does it from, like, his office, wherever the office is, in the depths of what was Miller Park. I don't know what the hell it's called now. Like, um, do you know what it's called? Family first uh, something or another? I, I have no idea. I'm going to look it up, but it, it is some weird name. It's not Miller Park anymore, but he's in the depths of the stadium doing the interview in his office somewhere. American Family Field. Oh, I was close with the family. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, but you could audibly hear the Phillies players cheering and yelling and having some fun, something you never heard when... Joe Girardi was in charge. You wonder if Girardi had these guys so militant and so scared that they just couldn't let it loose and let their hair down and play a little bit. Um, Look, I'm not suggesting that Rob Thompson is the difference maker all of a sudden, but I definitely think that the team is playing a little different, and I think he manages the game a little bit differently. There's the old saying that the the players in some ways reflect the coach or the manager, right? I well, agree with that. You know, I definitely think the teams take on the personality so maybe of Gerard the guy is in a little charge. Stiff. Phillies, by the way, they are now ten and a half back in the division. Mm-hmm. They're only three and a half back of the wild card now. So that wild card is now starting to be in play. They're three and a half back of the San Francisco Giants who have that final spot in the wild card. The Braves are next, then the Phillies. So the Phillies have jumped over Arizona. And let's be honest, I think there's three teams make the wild card. I think this is a five-team race for three spots. I'm going to make that declaration on June the 8th. This is a five-team race for three spots. The Padres, the Cardinals, the Giants, the Braves, and the Phillies. Three of those five teams are going to get in. So, you know, it's like a game of Scrabble. Put all the letters in the bag and start pulling them out. But I think you got a five because Arizona, they're not good enough. They're barely good enough. Like, they're, they're half the reason why they're there. They've is lost four in a row. They had a hot streak earlier in the yeah, season. Yeah, they weren't projected to be a good team this year, and you're starting to see why. We know Pittsburgh's not good enough. I mean, they're already talking about trading Bumgarner to the deadline. That's that's how what people think of Arizona. Colorado's not good enough. Miami's not good enough. The Cubs aren't good enough. Washington surely isn't good enough. And Cincinnati might be one of the worst teams you've ever seen. So, literally, <laughs> it's a five-team race for three spots. Would yeah. you agree? I think that's very fair. 
I, I think the way you laid it out is fair, especially because of the fact that, you know, what wins during the length of a season? It's pitching and clutch hitting. And the last few games, the Phillies have shown the ability to pitch and the ability to get clutch hits. Well, I thought the move to go to Brogdon last night was interesting. I was hoping he was going to go to Brogdon or Dominguez last night. I was a big fan of Brogdon coming into last year. He's been somewhat disappointing, but he's been pretty good this year. I think the biggest thing with Brogdon is, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but he's just another year older. You know, there's a there's a level of maturity Well, at spring there. training, he had some velocity issues, and there was some concern that and, – and look, he was not pitching well when, when the season started, but he has turned that around. Right. He reminds me a lot of Madsen, fastball, change-up guy. And with Brogdon pitching the way he is right now, Dominguez, hand – They've got three guys. Now, Knable, I know we got some text messages coming in. Mike, nice win in the top of the ninth, but bottom of the ninth, holy hell, when is enough enough? Knable has been terrible since the Mets meltdown on 5-5. Three blown saves, 5.68 ERA. He's given up runs in three of the last four. Last night was a miracle. It's not 4-4. Four, four. Um, four of the last four. What about making Dominguez or Han the closer instead of babying him? Make a statement to the team that you're in win now or else mentality and send Knable down to get it together. Well, that's not – I don't mind saying maybe you make him the eighth inning guy or demote him to the seventh or eighth inning. You're not going to send him down to AAA. I mean, this yeah. guy is definitely one of the better arms in your bullpen. And we outlined this a few days ago that, you know, that Hoskins should have been an error. That that ball should have been an error on Hoskins – and if Hoskins would have made the play he was supposed to, Knable doesn't have that rough inning. So Yeah, but to if, be fair, I agree. I agree. But to be fair, he is not pitching well. He he's is not walking. Pitching the well, walks but, are the problem. He had three walks last night. Mm -hmm. He walked the leadoff guy on Sunday. He has control issues right now. He is definitely having some control issues, and I would say more command issues. He really can't command his fastball. And guess what? He's really only a, a, a one-pitch pitcher right now. The curveball's not working, and that's where he made his money. Yeah, so, I mean, look, I I agree with the idea of maybe he shouldn't be the closer, but I wouldn't send him down. No, you're not sending him down to the minors, but what you might want to do is maybe, hey, you're going to pitch the eighth inning now. We're going to go to Dominguez against righties, a right-handed lineup in the ninth. And hand versus hand left-handed left -handed lineups in the ninth. But we've seen that before. There have been teams that have gone with that, like, right-left-side closer type of If you have the situation. option. Yeah. If you have the option to do it. And right it, now the Phillies do. The Phillies do. Um, by the way, the Phillies made a trade earlier today. Nothing big. Uh, they acquired a left-handed bullpen arm from the Giants, uh, Michael Plasmeyer. So he's got a guy to just to give their... Uh, bullpen depth, but I bring that up because I know the Phillies see, well, I don't know. It seems that the Phillies are looking at bullpen help. Uh, they were one of the teams that went to go watch former all-star closer Trevor Rosenthal pitch yesterday. He had a showcase. Um, he missed last year. He had the same injury, reportedly anyway, that Markel Fultz had, that th thoracic uh, outlet, syndrome. outlet syndrome. He missed last year with that. Now, what that is, I guess you lose feeling in, like, your, your fingers. Yeah, so basically the way I've heard it described by people like, you know, like the Stefania Bells of the world and Dr. Chow on Twitter is that basically 
it, it initially it's almost like tendonitis. Like you have this pain in your arm or your shoulder, but then it just like your whole arm, you lose like, you know, like almost like motor function mm-hmm. control. So he missed last year because of that. He had Tommy John surgery and I think he missed 2018. So he's had a couple of uh, missed seasons, but he was an all-star um, back in 2015, I guess, with the Cardinals, if my memory serves. It was a while ago, but, you know, he when back-to-back he... back-to-back 40 save, Yeah, when he was 45. good, he, he was one of those power arm guys who'd go out there. He had the, you know, the, the power fastball with the, the off-speed pitch. Wasn't like a true off-speed pitch, but it was enough to get people to swing and miss. And, you know, there was like a three-year period where he was like one of the dudes. So they went to go watch him. So my point on this is they make a trade. They're trying to add depth to this bullpen. I think they're just trying to find some more arms to compete. They're trying to fill the organization. And they should. There's there's nothing wrong with looking. And obviously, um, this team is uh, on a little bit of a hot streak right now. So they win last night 3-2. to 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. And there's a couple of moves in the game last night. Somebody said great move to pinch hit for Stott. He actually, I thought he pinch hit for Moniac, right? I thought it was Moniac. Let me double check. I think he hit for Moniac in the ninth. Veerling you're talking about, right? Veerling hit for Moniac, I'm pretty sure. Now you threw me off for a second there. Yeah, uh... I'm pretty sure he hit for Moniac in that spot because Veerling went in and played center field. So I'm pretty sure Stott was playing second base when the game ended last night. Yeah, he hit for Moniac last night. So yes. the text message says, great move to pinch hit for Stott there. Uh, haters dominant against lefties that won them the game. Rob Thompson making the right moves with the bullpen as well. I got to be fair. I think Joe Girardi would have hit for Moniac in that spot too. Now, would he have used Veerling? Or would he have not had confidence in Veerling? Would he have gone with Herrera? Because Herrera has been hitting well against lefties. So you can make the decision. You make the. I, I, I don't want to sit here and say, hey, Girardi wouldn't have hit for Moniac there because I'm pretty sure he probably would have. Right. I mean, you're right. Hater is very tough on lefties. In fact, he didn't hit for Stott. Stott was the second hitter of that inning, now that a memory serves. Yeah, it was Bohm, Stott, Veerling. And what did Stott do? Stott went over. No, I'm saying, what did he do in that at bat? Oh, that at bat. Let me uh, pull up the uh, play-by-play real quick. Because you had Bohm hit the home run, then Stott, and it got so lost in the sauce because even McCarthy said back-to-back. Stott flied out. All right, so fly out. There you go. That's right. He flew out. Now I remember. Yeah, Bohm homered. Stott flew out the left. The left field. And then Veerling hit the homer to left. Then Schwarber struck out, and then Hoskins struck out looking. Mm-hmm. But... Bohm hits the home run, and then Stock quickly flew out to left, and then Veerling hit the homer, and McCarthy actually said back-to-back when there was actually a hitter in between. Correct. Because uh, that was Stott. So the text message, I get your point that he made a good move, but it was uh, Moniac that he hit for. But to be fair, I'm pretty sure... Girardi would have hit for Moniac in that spot. So that's not say Rob Thompson made a move that Girardi probably wouldn't have made. I think he probably would have made that but move. But back to what you said a few minutes ago, Mike. You talked about the vibe of the team after the game. You know, in games, post games, after they won with Girardi, the locker room was pretty quiet. When it was Rob Thompson last night, they were pretty loud. They were pretty excited. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, 
isn't the issue less about the the specific moves in the game than it is the you know Thompson setting a new like you know mode for the team? Yeah, well, I definitely feel like the the whole thing is oh, you take on the personality of your manager, right? I think Girardi had them pretty tight lipped, tight laced, very straight laced, stiff. I think Rob Thompson's saying, "Hey guys, have a little fun, enjoy yourself. You want a ball game tonight? Have a little fun with that." Yeah, now we're gonna we're 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 starting to learn. We're gonna start to learn Rob Thompson a little better. And again, I want to see how he manages the bullpen. So far, last night I liked you know seven innings for Suarez. I don't know would Girardi have taken Suarez out earlier in that game? He had ninety two pitches. There was really no reason to. So I can't sit here and say, "Hey, I think Girardi would have pulled Suarez." He wasn't really in any trouble. Right, he didn't have. Um, you could possibly have made an argument that after the seventh, uh, that possibly, hey, Suarez maybe could have stayed out there. He had ninety-two pitches. Maybe he goes out there. Who knows? Um, they went to Brogdon in that spot. Now, I don't want to sit here every single game and say, well, would Girardi have gone to Brogdon in that spot? I don't know. That's these are the things we're going to start finding out. I think Brogdon. And I like Brogdon last year, so I think Brogdon's pretty good. I think he's a guy that if he gets the reps and he gets a if he gets a constant role, that he can be pretty good in that role. I think you can't use him as the guy, hey, we're going to bring you in in the fifth, we're going to bring you in in the seventh, we're going to bring you in in the sixth, we're going to use you in the eighth. I think if he's like, hey, man, you're our seventh inning guy, you're the guy in the seventh, get ready. That's where Brogdon is probably going to be his best. So I think he should overtake familia on the hierarchy of bullpen dominguez now there's another text message that says uh sir anthony may become the closer if canable blows another save well canable didn't blow the save last night but there was enough to concern you last night that should allow you to say fair next time you're in dominguez should get a shot right totally fair look I don't like to be, you know me, I'm not a guy who likes to be irrational and jump mm-hmm. off at the drop of a hat, but Canable's got to start pitching better. Fair is fair. And you the, can't and walk, the- guys. You can't lead off innings with walks. You can't have three walks in an inning. That's unacceptable for the closer. You know, right. it's not like it's Mitch Wild Thing Williams here wiggling his way out of trouble every single night. You, you know, that was a special season. And Mitch, by the way... In previous years and post years from 93, couldn't wiggle himself out of being the wild thing. He was the wild thing for one year, 93. It was a special season. Other than that year, Mitch wasn't all that good. Yeah, Brad Lynch had a much better career than Mitch Williams did. You have uh, Chapman. (laughs) You have Chapman who does have some control issues at times. But he's shown you multiple times that he can do it. The difference is he's got a 100-plus mile-per-hour fastball that he can rear back and blow that thing right past you when he gets into some trouble. Correct. Corey Knable does not have the luxury of firing up triple digits on the gun and blowing one past you. I mean, even the outs that he got last night, while they were just flyouts, right? If you have runners on base and there's a better hitter up in that moment, that flyout might fly right on over the fence. So I understand, and I'm on board with some of the criticism of him today, and concern, and wondering, 
whether or not they should consider making a change in that spot. And I would say, yeah, I think they have to at least monitor it. They have to have the conversation. They have to at least be sitting there and saying, guys, we got to keep a closer eye on him. And look, I don't think you pull him until now you might say, well, don't even let him blow a save. Eh, Maybe he's just having a bad stretch here. He needs to find a, a way to get out of it. And maybe you don't pull him permanently, Mike. Is it maybe something where you know, you're you're a guy who's played and watched the game and coached the game for a long time? Is it a situation for maybe one night you turn to Hand or Dominguez and say, hey, for tonight, I'm coming to you? Well, I think your out would be in a situation in the ninth where the other team has lefties coming up. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have two lefties that inning, and you say, you know what? This is the night we're going to go to Hand just to let Knievel kind of sit, watch, reset the battery. I don't know if I want to take him out and put Dominguez in that spot because now you're telling him, hey, you replaced me with a right-handed guy. The whole thing of baseball is, okay, you got some lefties up, you used a lefty. I can understand why you didn't use me in this situation because there was lefties there. Although, anytime you're not using the closer in a closing situation, your message is pretty clear. Right? Your message is pretty clear that you're not the closer right now. It's clear, but isn't the message also need to be, hey, Corey, maybe you need a night off as well? Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I would prefer it if it's, hey, use the lefty. Hey, there's a couple lefties here. We're just going to give you the night, you know. But, of course, a couple weeks ago, <laughs> they didn't use him on three days rest, and we were all up in arms. Why didn't you use him? Right. Why didn't you use this guy? Now we don't want to use him. See how things change? Joe Girardi's saying... You want me to use a guy that now you're telling me to replace. You wanted me to get fired because I wouldn't use a guy on three straight days. And now you don't want to use that guy. See how that works? (laughs) The funny twist of fate. Pretty much. Uh, Phillies win three in a row. Your thoughts, 609-403-0973-609-403-0973 on the text board. Uh, game three of the NBA Finals. Remember them? The NBA Finals, they're still playing. That's tonight. They haven't played since Sunday. So they're Wednesday, Friday, Sunday this week. Also, we'll talk NBA Finals. Monica McNutt from ESPN. She'll join us at 3 o'clock. More Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Free ESPN. 227. Uh, if you're listening on the free mobile app, 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, you can message us through the app on your phone. And a couple of messages on the app. Jeff in Ocean City says, reminder, we used the closer in a non-save situation. Thus, he wasn't available in three days when a save was needed. Phillies won't make playoffs if the closer can't close. Yeah, Jeff, you're right about that. But the point is, he's the closer. They used him in a non-save situation because the manager didn't have any faith in anybody else when they were up 7-3. to three. So he went to the one guy that he trusted, which was Corey Canable, 
and then he couldn't use him the next night. The irony of the whole thing is the guy that everybody wants replaced is the guy that everybody was yelling about the manager, why wouldn't you use this guy? And now we're saying, get this guy out of here. That's the irony of this whole thing. But the point of your uh, text message or your message through the app, which I appreciate you listening on the app, everybody out there should download the free mobile app. It's easy to do. Just go to 973ESPN.com slash app and you can have the app on your phone and take us wherever we go and i thank you in advance um and you can message us through the app but the point of your message that does make sense is if the phillies can't find a closer no you're right look in today's game the bullpen is almost the most important thing in the game you have to be able to get people out in those uh, crunch time situations in those high leverage spots You have to be able to get people out. You know, the Milwaukee Brewers are an interesting team. You look at that team and you think, why is this team in first place? Why are they a playoff team? What do they do that makes this team so special? You know, you look up and down that lineup and you're like, you know, all right, they've got a couple of, Yelich is really good. They're playing Andrew McCutcheon pretty much every day. Uh, Kane's a pretty good player. He didn't play last night, but Kane's a pretty good player. But other than that, I mean, they don't have this lineup that you're like, oh, my God, look at this lineup here. But what they do is they pitch well, and they've got a good bullpen. I mean, Hater, when they have a lead, they just don't give up wins. They don't blow a game. And just think about all the games over the last five freaking years that the Phillies would have won if Josh Hader was their closer. My God, you'd be looking at a team that would have, like, 95 wins. Just think about that. Think about simply having a lead in the ninth inning and winning that game. Because, listen, the Milwaukee Brewers lineup is is not better than the Phillies lineup. But a lot of teams in baseball, you know, football is a sport with a lot of parity. We see parity all over football. Where the difference between a game on Sunday is typically a touchdown or less. The difference between being 8 and 9 and 9 and 8 is very small. Or the difference between even being 6 and 11 and 11 and 6 is very small. Baseball is very similar. Look at the scores of these Brewers games the last couple of weeks, uh, their last couple series. 7 6, 3 1, 8 7, 4 3, 5 4, 6 4, 3 2. What do they all have in common? Almost every one of those games is a one- or two-run game, which means if you simply have someone who can get outs late in the game, you're probably 33-24 and instead of where the Phillies are sitting right now. Why? Because they can't get those outs. They're not outs that they can get. The bullpen in today's game is... Simply one of the most important things in all of baseball. And right now, and I was doing some research on this last night. Because the Phillies are looking at Trevor Rosenthal. And as I was writing the piece, I'm thinking, all right, so where's the Phillies bullpen in terms of where they sit in baseball? Right? And believe it or not, their bullpen is actually middle of the pack. They're somewhere in the middle. There's bullpens that are actually worse than theirs. 
which is saying something. But their bullpen is actually in the middle of the pack. It's hard to find quality pitching in the bullpen. It's hard to find consistent bullpen work. And if the Phillies can just get to that point. Now, to go back to the whole conversation, it was from that text message that talked about if he can't close games. You're absolutely right. If he can't close games, we're talking about Corey Knable. If he can't close games out. And look, this is coming up on a night where he didn't even blow the save. I mean, he he, he wanted to, but he didn't. <laughs> he tried his best, but it didn't happen. He tried and then decided to backtrack and win the game anyway. He definitely has to do a better job. There's no question about that. He has to be better. He definitely has to be. He can't be a negative for this team. They need the closer. We've seen this over the years. This has been a playoff team the last four years if they simply had someone to close games out. Right? Am I off base on that? You're not off base at all. I would I would guarantee you that. I would guarantee you that in the last four years, let's go 40 years, because we'll include even Kapler's last year. There were points in time in Kapler's last year, and then the basically three years of Girardi, that if they just had reliable bullpen people, I'm going to give them another 6-10 wins on the season. Easy. I think you're being kind. I think you're being light on that. How many blown well, saves do they have the last... Well, last year they had 36. Okay. 36 out of we, How many times have we said, if they just cut that in half? Right. We're not even saying, like, give me 80% less. Yeah, give you 15 extra games. I they're mean, a playoff they're, team. They're not just a playoff team. They, they might have been close to winning the division. Right. They are a playoff team probably in almost all four of those seasons if they simply cut the blown saves in half. And not not to not to be a uh, you know remember when but remember how many times it, on this show you talked about Mike Kate. Hey, if Clintac would just get the right guys in here, we'd be having a different conversation. And that's probably like Clintac's not here anymore, right? Uh Clintac was an abomination. He was horrible. I would rank Clintac worse than Brian Colangelo in my estimation. In, for, in, in terms of impact made with an organization, uh, they would be on the opposite end of the spectrum. Lack of impact. Clintac is definitively the worst. He had no impact. He does not have a plus guy. Now, you could say he was the GM when Bryce Harper signed. Yeah, but we all know the true story behind that. Right, I'm just saying, if you want to give him credit for that. Middleton's the one who flew out to Vegas. I'm just saying, he's the GM that gets credit for that signing. So, yeah. whatever you want to do with that. Other than that, he doesn't have one drafted player worth a damn. You want to say boom? Yes. The problem is I don't know who made the decisions. Was that actually Clint Hacker McPhail? Uh, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. Uh, Phillies turning it around. Three and a half out of the wild card. We got that NBA Finals. Tampa won last night. That's a 2-2 series. My guy Stamkos scored a goal last night. How about that? That's right. Um, I got a chance to talk to John Forslund, who called the game last night on 97.3 ESPN, Eastern Conference Finals. He'll be my guest on the Announcer Schedules podcast, which you can uh, check out tomorrow morning. That'll drop. 
John Forslund. You know he's the play-by-play guy for the Seattle Kraken. But you know who else? Or you know where else he was the play-by-play guy? Where else? You know where he started? He was the voice of the Hartford Whalers. Wow. Went to Carolina. I was going to ask if he go to Carolina. With he did, and he told a story today. I'll, I'll give you a little insight on the podcast. He gave us a little story. He, when Hartford was moving, he was up for the Boston job. It was between him, Sean McDonough, and one other guy. And he went to Carolina, and then his contract with Carolina ended. He was offered the job with the Tampa Bay Lightning and decided to go with the Kraken. Wow. How about that? So that's John Forslund this week on the Announcer Schedule podcast. You can uh, check that out. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. CC, very intrigued. All right, more sports bash on the way. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. Thoughts on the Phillies win last night? Are the Phillies turning things around? NBA Finals. We'll ask him the most iconic play in Philly history since he wasn't on the show yesterday. We'll get his take on that. I had a lot of people texting me last night. What about this play? What about this play? I said, no, I gave you my play. I gave you the most iconic play. It's the Brandon Graham strip sack, damn it. There's no argument here. McGarry next. Now, back to more. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Uh, 242, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. Uh, we'll be over at the ShopRite LPGA on Friday over there in the uh, LPGA Village behind McGettigan's 19th hole. We'll have to uh, meet with McGarry maybe in person over there on Friday's show. But right now, Phillies have won five straight. What's the difference? Let's bring Mike McGarry in, get his thoughts. Uh, we saw a team last night down 2-1. to one. You know, you get those late-night games. Now, it wasn't a West Coast game, but it still felt a little late. You know, the environment in some of those road stadiums seems a little meh. And you're facing Hater. You felt, all right, this was a nice little run. And then Alec Bohm and Matt Veerling. Is the mojo changing for the fight and fills there, Mike McGarry? Well, I don't know if it's changing, but it's headed in the right direction, right? Last night's win and certainly Sunday afternoon's win are the type of wins that make you say, hey, this team's got something going on. Maybe things are headed in this direction. Again, I would like to see a little more. Uh, you know, I think I said on Monday, two of three in Milwaukee, two of three in Arizona, but they're headed in the right direction. I'd like to see an extended winning streak. Uh, you know, as I wrote a couple of weeks ago, they haven't won nine in a row since 2011. They haven't won double digits in a row since 2010. I would just like for the Phillies to do something to get, you know, the area pumped up, get baseball back on everybody's mind on a daily basis. And so far with Sunday and last night, they've certainly taken a step in that direction. Let's see if they can do it again tonight. All right. 
So is that something, though, that we're seeing? Uh, you said, I would like to see that. Is that something that they look like they're heading in that direction? Does it look like, hey, you know, everybody's talking about the social media. Rob Thompson's talking to the media and you hear them you know, you know, celebrate in the background. Is the personality change? Is there something different? Do we are we seeing them give people a reason? Yeah, so far, so good since the change, right? The the change of Rob Thompson firing Girardi, that was everybody's cue to come in and take a second look at that, you know, at the team, right? Uh, you know, they say that you only get one chance to make first impression. Well, the Phillies are having a, a second chance to do that, and people kind of focused back in, said, hey, the Phillies have fired the manager. Let me see if it's going to make a difference. And so far, you can't argue with the results. He's 4-0, and and they've won five in a row. And you know what is key to me, Mike, is just the younger players are coming through. You see Bryson Stott is hitting the ball better. He had his first Major League home run last Friday. He hit, uh, you know, he obviously had the game-winning home run on Sunday. Last night, Alec Bohm, uh, you know, hits hits a home run. Matt Beerling, another young player, hits a home run. Ranger Suarez, a young pitcher who had kind of struggled, went back to looking like the Ranger Suarez that we saw you know, last season. And I think, you know, if you're going to talk about the overall success of the team, you know, the ninth inning was great last night, obviously, but what Ranger Suarez did for seven innings, if he can keep up that up, that bodes better, you know, for the Phillies overall than just about anything else that happened last night. Yeah. Um, a lot of people discussing too. Uh, now to be fair, I did talk about this, Mike is I don't think like, they pinch it for Moniac with Veerling in that spot. I can't say that Girardi would have let Moniac. So I don't want to just say, well, Girardi would never have hit uh, Veerling in that spot. I don't know if he would have used Veerling, but I think he would have hit for Moniac, just to be fair. Yeah, and uh, the other fair thing, you, you hear people now kind of saying, well, Girardi might not have played these young guys and stuff like that. I don't, I don't think that's true. Girardi, well, part of it, Mike, though, know, is part of it is the injuries here. You lost Segura. You're almost forced into playing some of these guys. Exactly, exactly. And when they called Moniak up, Girardi benched Adubel Herrera right away, who who was arguably the team's first or second best hitter at that point, and, and put Moniak right and in there. And did say you know, that he planned on playing in the bulk. Now, part of it was he said that he was going to play in the bulk, and then two days later didn't play him at all. Right, right, right. And Thompson has said that the young guys have, you know, are fun to watch and they have uh, supplied some energy, you know, especially that trio when uh, Nick Baton was in the lineup and, and Stott and, and you had Moniak down there. They said they were getting a lot of energy from those three guys. And, and so far, you know, energy is one thing, but they've also gotten some big hits from them, uh, you know, in Stott and, uh, and, and Veerling last night. So, yeah, things are trending in the right direction. It's five in a row. They've got two great wins in a row. And, uh, you know, it's a start. You can't win 10 in a row without winning five in a row, right? So they're halfway there. You know, let's see what they can do tonight. Uh, Mike McGarry, well, give me your uh, dissertation, if you will, about the closing spot. Are you panicking? Are you thinking about a change? Or is he just kind of hitting a rough patch and he's your guy? Uh, definitely concerned. He's not my guy. I'm almost <laughs> on a uh, on a. Uh, you know, uh, performance by performance. What bothers me there is just the inability, seemed like the inability to get the breaking ball over, right? Almost going all exclusively fastballs mm -hmm. last night. 
And if you're going to be a successful closer, Mike, you cannot walk the leadoff hitter. He walked Kurt Suzuki on Sunday afternoon. Kurt Suzuki's batting 215. He plays once a week. He's about 500 years old. You can't walk that guy on four pitches under any circumstances. And last night, he walks the leadoff guy again. You cannot continue to do that. That is not a recipe for success. He's had a few seasons where he saved a lot of games, including in Milwaukee, but he certainly doesn't have a, a five, six year track record of success as a big time closer. So he worries me every time he goes out there. I know people are itching to put the move to Sir Anthony. Uh, you know, maybe you go closer by committee at some point. But, uh, yeah, Corey Knable definitely uh, has me uh, anxious and probably should have every Phillies fan sort of sitting on the edge of his seat because the last two games he's been very shaky. They've just survived them with home runs, basically. Yeah, three walks last night. Can't have that. The three walk last night, I mean, I said he's not Mitch Wildthing Williams in 93 where he can just wiggle himself out of these jams that he continuously is getting himself in. Now, to be fair, he was really the, the most reliable guy they had, which isn't saying much sometimes, but for, for a while there to the point that we were blasting Girardi for not using him for three straight days. Yeah, I mean, everybody goes back to the game in Atlanta. That probably was the beginning of the end for Girardi when Harper hits that home run and, and he does a pitch canable, and then they lose that game. Yeah, he's the best what you got right now, but I just think the way Sir Anthony has pitched, uh, certainly, you know, you might want to give him an opportunity there if Canable continues to struggle. There's just been too many sort of wildfires. The game where we blasted Girardi for um, – him not pitching that was before he gave up the home run in new york after the castellano shot on that sunday night that was before you know he gave up the home run to Lingoria against san francisco that was before you know he uh he struggled this past sunday and gave up a run and that was before he walked the bases loaded last night so that's four or five befores ago you know and uh, <laughs> and i don't know how many of those befores we've got going forward basically you uh, know? mike mcgarry for the press of atlantic city phillies and brewers uh, round two tonight. Phillies looking for six straight. By the way, ten and a half behind the bets, three and a half in the wild card. Mike, I look at that wild card. I see five teams for three spots with the Phillies three and a half out. Yeah, I mean that's right now, and that's what's great about the expanded playoffs. Uh, you know, you can kind of look at that wild card spot. The Mets at ten and a half right now, and you know, the Mets again. This was an opportunity, right? Again, I thought the reason why. Kind of, if you're going to fire Girardi, and I wasn't in favor of it, but this was the time to do it. You know, the Philly schedule lightens up. Boom, the Mets are on a West Coast trip. You know, eventually not having Scherzer and DeGrom is going to wear them down. Last night, Pete Alonso gets hit on the hand. You know, x-rays are negatives, but how many times have we seen something come back a day later? Vicky Moniak got hit on the hand. Everybody says it's fine. Next day, boom, disabled list out six weeks. So you never know what's going to happen. Uh, and, and the Mets on that West Coast trip out there to the Dodgers, San Diego, and, and Anaheim, the Angels. So this is an opportunity for the Phillies. You know, if they can get this back to the All-Star break to the point where at the All-Star break they're 5-6 back of the Mets, then you're in business for the rest of the season. You've also got a shot at the division and not only the wild card, and at the same time, you kind of keep in contact with the Atlanta Braves, right? I think they're two or three back at the Atlanta Braves. You didn't want to lose contact with the Braves. So this is definitely a key stretch for them, and so far they're getting the job done. All right, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. Friday, we will be over at the ShopRite LPGA Classic. You wrote about some of the storylines, some of the things. For our listeners who maybe have never been there, have heard us talk about it, 
Uh, give me some of the highlights of uh, something. Uh, hey, you should go to this. I'll be there Saturday. I'll be there Friday doing the show. I'll be there Saturday as a fan. Uh, give me some of your storylines for the people who have never been there. Well, it's just a great event to go to. There's not many events in our area, right, or in this greater Atlantic City region that we say the world's best comes and, and plays. Well, you got the world's number one player in, in Jin Young Ko out here uh, at, at the ShopRite LPJ Classic this weekend at Seaview. 34 straight under par rounds earlier this year, the LPGA Player of the Year. Uh, you got Kari Webb, a Hall of Fame player out here, uh, making her return to the LPGA Tour, one of the greatest players in, in women's golf history. You've got defending champion Celine Boudier, a rising star from France, um, you know, kind of defending her title here. You've got uh, Americans like uh, and past winners, Stacey Lewis. You've got Alex Marina, who grew up in Wayne, New Jersey, played CBU a lot at, in high school. She won an event on the LPGA Tour. She's back this week. And it's Again, it's an opportunity to see the best in the world do what they do. And how many times does that happen sports-wise in the greater Atlantic City area. And it happens here at, at Seaview, so it's definitely worth coming out and seeing these players play in person because, you know, you can watch it on TV, but when you see them actually in person, it's even more remarkable to see just how talented they are. It is truly amazing to watch somebody hit so precise when you're that close, to see how precise they are with their irons or their drives. It's unbelievable. Uh, the high school season is winding down baseball-wise. Who's still left? Well, we got a great, again, Cape Atlantic League baseball, Mike. I sing the praises of it all the time. I tell you all the time, back when you were playing and I first started out in the mid-90s, it was like on the list of major sports. It was behind basketball and, and football. Now it's at the top. Uh, again, we got three teams, Cedar Creek, Ocean City, and St. Augustine Prep playing for South Jersey titles on, on Friday. Just remarkable what, you know, Cape Atlantic League Baseball has done the last five or six years. St. Augustine going for their sixth straight South Jersey championship and Ocean City looking to defend their state group three title and Cedar Creek playing in their first South Jersey final in the program's history. So just another great, great season of Cape Atlantic League Baseball. That was, a, was that a sneaky way of you telling me that I stunk at baseball? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe, yeah. All right, um, uh, we got tonight Boston two two Golden State. How's it going? Actually, I like I yeah one one. I like Boston. Yeah, I like Boston. I still like the defense of of the Celtics at home. You know, I just think defense wins in these situations. So I like Boston at the start of the series. I think it's going to go six, maybe seven games. But I like Boston, and and certainly a key game tonight because I think. Now, I don't know what the percentages is, but if you win game three in these best-of-seven series, you have a lot better chance of winning the series than if you lose yeah, game like 83% or something right, like exactly, that. Right, exactly, yeah. Mike McGarry, your most iconic Philadelphia sports play is what? My most iconic Philadelphia sports – it's got to be the uh, – the Philly special, right? Uh, you know, even though I'm not a uh, football giant, I'm a Giants guy, uh, but if you're going to say something, you know, the Super Bowl, it's got to be uh, the Philly special, right? That's one man's opinion. It's Brandon Graham's strip sack, unarguable. <laughs> I, I go with the Philly sack. Hey, the statue is of the special. It's not of the strip sack, so there you go. It's right less there. glamorous, yeah. but more important. Mike McGarry, right. Press of Atlantic City. He'll be back Friday. Thanks, Mike. All right, we'll see you. Thanks. Right, that's Mike McGarry, who's out on the road covering a high school game near you. He'll be at the ShopRite LPGA this weekend in Philly when the Phillies come back. And you can read all his stuff at AC Press McGarry. Monica McNutt, why the Celtics 
need to win at home next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, 3 o'clock, Sports Bash. Don't forget tonight, it's game three of the finals. Boston is back at home. What are some of the keys for this one? Uh, Monica McNutt is part of ESPN's radio's coverage of the finals. I really have been enjoying her insight. I want to also get her take because I feel like Monica's more level-headed than some of the people. They don't. She doesn't overreact or give these crazy knee-jerk reactions when things go out of whack sometimes. So I'm intrigued by uh, her James Harden thoughts with this Sixers team here in town. What should they do there? But let's first take a look at Game 3 of the NBA Finals tonight. Monica McNutt joins me right now here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Welcome, Monica. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you, friend? We're doing good here in Atlantic City. We uh, certainly are looking forward to Game 3 of the Finals. We're wishing the Sixers were somehow in this game, but uh, the second round is the enemy. We can't get out of there. So let's start with your thoughts on how does this team move past the second round? Is James Harden the answer? Do they got? Do they have a lot of thinking to do this offseason with this Harden situation? Mike, okay, I, I'd also thoroughly appreciate um, your intro, my friend. I try to stay level-headed. I am guilty of being a, a prisoner <laughs> of the moment at times, too. Here's my deal, and I've kind of said this as the whole thing with James Harden evolves. To me, he's still a solid third piece of a big three, right? Um, and so if you got a guy that's going to give you double-digit assists and can keep a defense honest because he can get his three-point shooting percentages back up, I don't see how that hurts the combination of talent that you guys have in Philly. Now, if there is rift between leadership and Doc Rivers specifically, which may be loosely suggested based on some of the sound bites as the run came to an end last year, that's a whole nother ball of wax. But to me, you let him play this year, um, and he's got to earn the, the max deal. I would not sign him to a max right now just because I'm not – I am not sold on his overall commitment, right? Like, guys tend to play better under contract year situation, so give me the best version of you. Come on. Now, doesn't that kind of put them between a rock and a hard... Like, let's just say he opts out. Now, do you just leave empty-handed with nothing? I mean, hey, we just traded Curry, Drummond, Ben Simmons, and two first-round picks, and you've just opted out, but we don't want to sign you up for your... Do you Are you okay with him just just starting over, basically? I I don't I just don't think he's that attractive, Mike. So I I think you kind of call the bluff. No, <sighs> it's such a hard like. Here's the other part, like, and you might know more of this than say some schmuck like me. But what kind of conversations go on? Like James Harden and Daryl Morey know each other pretty well. Like, hey man, I really need you to opt out of this deal. This is what, you know what I'm saying? Like, is there some sort of understanding that we need your help here? Can you help us out? Because generally we feel like, and not that they're in the wrong, but you're out to get yours, you know? Yeah, and, and I guess you're right. Like, I don't know, even in the most perfect um, rainbows, unicorns, and cotton candy land, I don't know that a guy of James's caliber opts out. Yeah, that's fair. Um, because he's, he's stone. But throughout the course of his career, he's been about his check. I don't, I don't know, Mike. That that is tough. I just, to me, I think that you guys as an organization are in a a solid position with or without James. And so, if you buy that, you can have a come to Jesus conversation, so to speak, and get him to do something that appeases the organization. Then 
okay. Yeah. But I, I just think that, I honestly think that there's more to get out of Tobias. I love the development of Tyrese. Um, I think Joel is going to be in the conversation for MVP for the next couple of years as long as he can stay healthy. And to me, we started looking around the league. Now, I don't have a free agency, roster, free agent roster in front of me. It's quietly, Philly's becoming a little bit more of a destination. Like, guys really respect Joel. And I, you can see numbers. So I just, I just, uh, to me, I would not bank the house on James Harden. I yeah, that's the big thing. It's like, you know, there's so much cloudiness here of like, all right, you know, there, there's been some suggestions. The hamstring, was he not 100% healthy? But then there were some games that he looked like James Harden. So was he not hurt for those games? But, you know, so that's where there's kind of like if he has a full off season to get. Uh, George Niang was on a podcast the other day and he said, like, he was asked, like, hey, how was it uh, getting James Incorporated? He said, we're still trying to do that. Like, it just doesn't happen. And I guess we take for granted, like, hey, this guy's so good, he fits in, and it's all just going to work. Maybe we need to give him the benefit of the doubt of a full offseason, playing together, getting training camp, yada, yada. And maybe we will see a better version of James Harden. So, here, and this is my only hesitation on that, Mike. I agree, but I think that we all maybe need to have the symbolic ceremony where you put the bed the Houston James Harden. Like, that's not what we're going to get. And it's not what y'all are going to get. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, to me, what is James Harden for Philly that could be successful? He's a 10 assists per game guy. He's shooting. I need him to get his shooting percentage back up to 37 from behind the arc. And I don't even necessarily need him exploding to the paint as much if he's giving me those 10 assists and spacing the floor with his three-point shooting, right? Is he still getting acclimated? Yeah. On a basketball level, all of that stuff makes sense. The part that is concerning is historically he's not been a guy that has been touted as a teammate and as a worker. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, in theory, give him a full offseason. Let him get with the group. Okay, okay? hindsight it's, it's hindsight now. Monica McNutt, ESPN's with us. Hindsight, do you try to make it work with Ben Simmons and not make the trade and try to talk to him in the offseason, or do you say that ship was sailed, you had to make this move? No, I think you had to make this move. But to me, and maybe I'm overly optimistic, Mike, you're boots on the ground with your Philly folks. To me, y'all are going to be okay regardless. Like, I just, I just, I think Joel has been that good. I still kind of feel like Tobias has gotten a short end of a stick in terms of what he's capable of doing, right? Like, I don't know if Philly ever really saw the Tobias Harris that was, have, that was rocking and rolling in L.A. before he got traded, right? Mm -hmm. I think Tyrese is on the up and up. I mean, you trust your folks to add some pieces um, in the draft and maybe some veteran guys on the fringes. But, like, I, I think I know that uh, Philadelphia 76ers fans are sick of the process, right? Like, <laughs> but I think I, I still feel like y'all are in a good spot. Like, yeah. I just I'm not. Willing well, to I got to tell, like, Monica, there's this like huge divide. Like, I, I had no problem with what they did because, look, I, I've been doing the show here. I'm not that old, by the way, but I've been doing the show here for about tw almost 17 years, okay? Okay. 2012, uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, you couldn't get a sixer conversation. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. And then they went through this process. And I always said the process wasn't about winning championships, although they need to say it was. This was a business decision to try to reinvigorate a fan base that just did not care at all about the team. And in that, they hit a grand slam home run. That place is sold out every night. They sell more jerseys than everybody in the league. They're, they're, it's the hottest ticket in town. They're on national TV. And you guys talk about them like they're the late. I mean, they're the top of every conversation. So the process put them at the tip of everybody's tongue. The fans act 
like a February Tuesday night game is a Sixers, uh, like an Eagles Sunday football game. Like, they care about all 82 games. So mission accomplished. But that being said, for them not to be able to get out of the second round now in 2022, it's still disappointing that they haven't been able to get there. So now, look, go ahead. So, Mike, let me, I'm going to toss this back at you, though, Mike. Like, yep. before the trade, right, when Joel Embiid was securely – well, I mean, he finished the season, what, second in MVP voting. But anyway, when he was really carrying that team – and I know you had um, your French guys, Curry and all those guys that traded to Brooklyn were still there. Like, you don't think that some of that production can be duplicated? From Joel Embiid minus those pieces. Oh, I no, definitely. I I, I agree that that what well, beats the guy who the problem is, and this happened with everybody. Look what happened to Jimmy Butler for a couple games in the playoffs. He was hurt, and all of a sudden he wasn't Jimmy Butler. Like he obviously had right. something wrong with right. him. Joel Embiid played with a torn thumb and a broken face, and we found out he had another injury to his finger. So I mean I, that does factor in. But I guess the frustration with him to the Sixer fans is constantly hurt always been hurt in the playoffs so it's hard to depend can you depend on a big guy if you want to be the best team in the league can you depend on a player like Embiid as unicornish as he is can you depend on that guy yeah that's fair that's fair I got you uh all right Monica McNutt I want to get your thoughts on the finals tonight because the Sixers aren't there but the Celtics are and these two teams have these parallels because Jason Tatum was the guy that was taken the night that Marshall Fultz got drafted number one, and now he's in the finals, and the Sixers are watching them. So is Boston a little ahead of schedule for you? Boston is definitely a little ahead of schedule, especially with, and I know we've been clear, my colleagues and I have been clear to make the distinction first year and not rookie because Emo Udoka has definitely um, earned and spent a lot of time in his league to earn his position. But, like, absolutely the Celtics are ahead of schedule. Bro, like, we want to now. We, when I say we, the collective sports consumption and conversation <laughs> machine, we're discussing breaking up Jalen and Jason like at the end of last year, January. In January, they were talking yeah. about it. Man, so look, I, they're definitely ahead of schedule. I think it's a beautiful thing, but I think when we say ahead of schedule, we have to dig into it a little bit more, right? Like Jason and Jalen had been, and I'm about to mess up the numbers, but I'm pretty sure what is it four. Three out of the last five Eastern Conference uh, appearances. Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, they're ahead of schedule, but you also have these two unique, younger, really talented guys in the league who have been to a big stage multiple times, and now Ime Doka finally gets them over the hump. So it's been really incredible to watch. I know um, our producer on radio, John Medani, he's like, there's no villains in this uh, series. Like, you can root for both of these teams, and he's absolutely right. Um so why do you think the ebbs and flows with the Celtics? Almost all their game to game, it's like they win by a blowout, then they get blown out. I mean, it just seems to be like the one end of the spectrum of the other with this team. Well, <laughs> the common denominator in all that is whether or not they pass the ball to one another or to the fans. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> when they hold on to the rock, they're a pretty fantastic team, and they look almost unbeatable at times. And when they just given it up, that's a whole nother story. I think what they gave up, 33 points off of turnovers in game two. Um, I think they are a living, breathing, growing entity as a team, right? And I think what you saw from game one, and I kind of predicted that they would win game one, was them capitalizing on everything that they learned from that Miami series and putting it to work. But I don't know about you, Mike. I wasn't the greatest student. I was decent. I wasn't the greatest student. But, like, when I have passed one test, 
then I'm chilling because I'm just so proud of myself. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I got an A on the other one. It's okay. I can take a C on this one. It'll be fine, right? That sounds like me to a T, by the way. Right. Right. Like, I I crammed for this one that I know was going to be a big test, and now the other one, we're just going to see what happens. Um, So that's kind (laughs) of what I see when I'm watching the Celtics squad. Now, what I will say, and I think this is impressive of them, they get in the lab. They watch the film, and they really do a really good job of cleaning up after bad games. In fact, both of these teams um, are undefeated after losses. So it'll be interesting because somebody's record is going to change um, at, at some point in this series when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, Tatum and Brown, we got those two. Who's the other guy for you? Who's got to be the other guy? We saw Horford in game one. He hit more threes the other night than he did his entire Sixer career. And then he kind of had a stinker in the next one. But who's the guy who could be the more the most consistent of that next group? So the next group for me coming in, Mike, was a market smart. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of flirting with whether or not it could also be Rob Williams. Like, I think what he gives when his knee is right and he can move is definitely an X factor. But I think for Marcus Smart, he is the counterpoint in terms of the fire, right, to Draymond, right? And yep. I think you know what you're going to get from him defensively, but he has a ceiling or there's room before he hits his ceiling offensively in my mind. That performance from game one, while it was a career high for him, I don't need that necessarily, but I need somewhere between that and game two from you in order for this team to be consistent. Because they have all talked about the attention that Jason Tatum garners, right? The Warriors make him play in a crowd. He had 13 assists in game one. He didn't score the ball particularly well. In game two, he scores the ball particularly well, but you can question some of his decision-making. And so Marcus Smart has talked about having his back. And so how do y'all have his back? They got to be in positions to knock down shots so he can rack up those assists, and it takes some of the pressure off of him to score. And so Marcus Smart, to me, is that guy between what he brings in the non-tangible sense in terms of the fire, the energy, the competitive drive, and then his ability to hit shots and keep the defense on yep. is important. Uh, Monica McNutt's with us. Uh, Draymond's been getting a lot of talk. Uh, he's taking a, when they don't play from Sunday to Wednesday, they're killing me with all the Draymond stuff. But this is exact, this is exactly what they want to do. But it's what I thought the Celtics wouldn't let enter their mind. Like I felt like the Celtics, one thing was they wouldn't let that happen. And in game two, I was surprised that they let him get to them. Were you? Um, I was. I don't know if I was surprised that they let the word Draymond get to them. I was more surprised when you could see the shift at the point that the Celtics were starting to play for calls, right? Mm-hmm. Like Draymond's going to do what he's going to do. And I think it's fine for a guy maybe to be a little bit frustrated by Draymond, but yeah. you still got to play ball. And so the shift of the Celtics visibly looking for calls and like not getting back on defense was like, wait a minute, that's not, that's certainly not the Ime Udoka we've been able to talk to since the run of the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, that doesn't seem like that's on brand for you all characteristically. But I think for a Jalen Brown or a Grant Williams to show that they're a little bit flustered from dealing with Draymond, that's the human experience. But it's about how you respond. And so, yes, you know, you add a little bit of Draymond in there as a distraction, a little bit of the softness that has not been signature to them. The combination gets you what you got. But you knew. I mean, everybody knew that the Warriors were going to come out swinging in game two. All right, my last one for Monica is... Clay Thompson, Poole, late in the game. Who's on the court for you? Clay. Stick in there, right? Yeah, I'm still going Clay. And listen, this is no knock to Jordan Poole. I think he's great. His story has been incredible. Um, But as of late, his baskets have come when his team's up. And I don't know that I trust him yet in this series when the Celtics look like they look in game one. Just looks like Clay's pressing a little bit. That's all. Yeah, I, I will give you Clay's pressing. But to me, 
I trust Clay's going to give me his best on the other side as well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll take a little press from Clay, but also somewhere in there that championship DNA comes through, and I, I just need one of these shots to fall, and I know you're going to be in the right <laughs> position as best as you can defensively, as opposed to uh, what is what doe eyes, big bright, big wide eyes on a big time stage, and I don't know what you're about to do on the other end. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll see how this all unfolds. One one back to Boston. Monica McNutt is there for ESPN Radio's coverage of the NBA Finals, and uh, it was a pleasure to catch up with you. I always enjoy uh, when they have you uh, on the television. I look forward to hearing you on the radio as well. I appreciate you, Mike. Have a great show. Take care. Monica McNutt, everybody, here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. And uh, as it says on her Twitter handle, Hoophead. She's a hoophead. I could talk hoops with her uh, for a while. She truly gets it on the hoop side of things. We we definitely, you know, this NBA Finals, Celtics won big in game one. They win. They lose big in game two. It sets up for them to kind of take control of the series. That's kind of the way the thing has been going, right? Don't be surprised if Boston wins this one tonight and wins kind of big. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, good job for Monica. Great conversation with her. Ross Dean on the other side from the Philadelphia City cast. We'll get his take on the Phillies' recent success. And the numbers. You know, the NBA is talking about shortening the NBA season. Something I never thought I would heard uh, here. Uh, we'll get that. And the finals tonight, obviously, some betting stuff for the NBA game and the Phillies tonight as well. So we got all that on the other side, plus football at four. The Eagles actually had OTA today, and the media was there. So we got a chance to see some stuff. So stick around. More Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back to more Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. South Jersey's sports leader. 324, thanks to Monica McNutt. NBA Finals Game 3 tonight on 97.3 ESPN. Celtics, Warriors. We're at 1-1 in that series. Game 4 is on Friday. Game 5 is until Monday. So it's Wednesday, Friday, Monday. And then it's off again until Thursday. So you got a lot of space between these games. I don't like it so much. But... It is what it is. That's the way the NBA Finals have typically been. All right. Ryan Rothstein is the host of the Philadelphia CityCast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Game three tonight. We'll get the numbers uh, on that. Phillies and the Brewers. Let's start with that, Ryan. The Phillies have now won five straight games. I was there on Sunday. The ballpark uh, energetic last night. Come from behind victory again. Uh, all right, what do we think here? Is it time to finally buy in? Third manager in five years. Can this manager be the one that pushes all the right buttons? Yeah, Robbie Thompson, baby. No relation to PT. Nope, uh, no relation. Yeah. <laughs> that we know of. I mean, they're missing the. He's missing the P, right? No, Which he, is he's missing the, the P, PT. right? No, we had him. Yeah. We had him send uh, to uh, what is it? Twenty three and Me. 
Yeah, sure. If you say so. Ancestry.com came back. No relation. Uh, okay, that's what we're talking about. Got it. Uh, no, man, listen. It, it's it's nice, right? I mean, you fire your manager you know, 50 games into the season on essentially June 1st. It, it's things, things ain't going well, all right? That's... That's pretty much the panic button, is it not? And, you know, so to win these first four games with him and just to get a little bit closer to 500, they're still under 500. You know, it's been nice, but I'm not I'm not overthinking this, MG. Like, this team is still on a high-speed train off the tracks heading for a mountain of mediocrity. Um, all right. I'm not going to sit here and disagree with you. I also... I'm not in the camp that Girardi was the biggest problem for this team. And I know it's kind of, uh, hey, look, they're 5-0 and oh without him. I definitely think, though, much like basketball, you take on the personality of your coach. And I think that's what's big in baseball is how much does the manager matter? I don't know. How many games did Joe Girardi cost him? I mean, one, three, five? I, I don't have the answer to that. But I definitely think that the personality – is a big difference with the manager in baseball. See, that's where that's where I feel like we we differ. I, I don't. How much can the manager do as far as shaping the the personality and oh, my, mindset I, of that team? I mean, there's still nine individuals. If we're you know talking about the batting lineup, you get up to the plate. You're still looking to get a hit. You're still looking to do what what you do like i i just don't know what joe girardi slapping rears or not slapping rears is really going to do for <laughs> well, him at the end I, this of the is day. this is i mean listen i baseball is a confidence game and the manager installing the confidence in each player does that mean you're going to get a hit every single time i don't think so no but i try to grab as much positivity and confidence in every player that i can Instead of just constantly harping on, you can't do this, or you're not doing that, or you can't do this. you got to block out that negative and harness your positive as much as possible so that when you go to the plate, you have positive thoughts. And that when you're in the field, you have positive thoughts. And that's You sound like an Instagram motivational speaker right now. <laughs> well, I think that's important in baseball. Like, being tight and wound up because you're afraid that the manager is going to ride you because of it is not a recipe for success. Now, you would say, well, he won a World Series in New York, maybe using the same tactic. Okay, maybe so. If, uh, was he a hard-ass to that degree, Mike? I mean, you're making it sound like I he don't was... Know. I don't yeah, know. Th- th- neither do I. But I, I definitely, in my opinion, I don't want to say he was a hard ass. I don't think he was a more a personable guy. It seems that there was a lot of communication problems. You know, maybe he wasn't talking to these guys. I think Rob Thompson in the, in the opening press conference made it clear. I want to talk to these guys. If they're having a bad day, I want to know why they're having a bad day. I want to be, I don't want to be their friend, but I want to talk to them and let them know. You can come talk to me. And I want to know, hey, man, how was your drive from Bucks County to the ballpark right. today? That kind of stuff. I, I, you know, I think that matters. That's important. I, you know, I, I oh, in baseball more than anything because baseball it's every day and it is a rigor of confidence, man. It is. I don't get a hit. Oh, for four. Oh my God, what am I doing wrong? You know, I know for four like that happens, but baseball players going over four to them is like the end of the, the like the world's ending. And over four can quickly I, I become 
0 for 4 can quickly become 0 for 6, 0 for 8, 0 for 12. And you're like, look at Mike Trout right now. Listen, I agree with all of the above, but I say this. That's baseball, and I know that's what you're sort of saying as well. These are grown men professionals at the highest level. I mean, how much... How much coddling do they really need? I hear you and I agree with you. But at the end of the day, I, I don't know how much that's moving the needle, I think, is the point of this conversation. Like, what's the bottom line between, hey, how was your ride from Bucks County versus not asking how the ride from Bucks County was? You know, I, I just at the end of the day, I don't think it means anything. Maybe right now it does right over the next couple of weeks. But in the long term, and that's what baseball is, that's what the game is. It's a marathon to the fullest definition, I, I don't see, I don't see the impact. I don't see Girardi out and Rob Thompson, the hugger, in as as the difference maker. I just don't see it. Well, there's a little bit of, of this involved too. Is how will Rob Thompson be different from Girardi in terms of the way he handles stuff? Last night, he goes to Brogdon in that spot. Would Girardi have gone to Brogdon there? Or would he have said, hey, I have more faith in a guy like Familia because he's got more experience, so I'll go with Familia? I don't know. Uh, in, in, in a lot of these instances. Now, I don't think Girardi would have had Moniac hit against Hater last night, a lefty-lefty. I think he probably would have hit for Moniac in that spot. But would he have gone to Veerling, a young guy, or they have gone to a guy like Herrera, who's a lefty, but hits lefties better than Moniac does. I don't know. Here's something pretty interesting. Now, Joe Madden was fired yesterday, right? He said, and this is kind of interesting, because Joe Madden is known as what? Like an analytical guy, kind of almost like mm -hmm. the guy who started this whole analytical thing. And he said this yesterday. He said, quote, it's been kind of difficult overall. I'm into analytics but not to the point where everybody wants to shove it down your throat. Real baseball people have felt somewhat impacted by all of this. You're unable to just go to the ballpark and have some fun and play baseball. It's too much controlled by the front offices these days. See, that, that it's the perfect quote for what I want to ask you and just to, to, to the conversation here two-parter if you will but how many games can the manager in today's major league baseball going off of that quote from joe madden knowing analytics and how much the general manager slash front office is heavily involved in the day-to-day -day lineups everything else how many games can today's manager in major league baseball truly cost a team or win a team however you want to phrase it I, I don't think it's that many at all. And you talk about the culture. Like, I'll, I'll bring up basketball because you and I have had these debates for years. Basketball, X's and O's, it's not as much impact as baseball. But basketball's impact on the locker room and managing personalities and, and all of those things that aren't intangibles, I think, can have more of an impact. What are your thoughts? Oh, I've said for years, I think the NBA coach – on a night-to-night, -night, loses very few games. But where I think their impact is, is setting the culture, what kind of personality that team has. You know, you have a lot like, of... I think they have more of an impact than a baseball manager in doing that. You have a lot of highly... Like, in baseball, even though they get paid 
some in some instances a lot of money. Only the really, really, really super duper duper stars are making big money. A lot of guys on a baseball team are the minimum salary, the minor league guy. Basketball, you only have twelve guys, and they're making most of them are making some money. So you have a lot the the, the NBA is way more of a players league. In other words, yeah. if Mike Trout was in the NBA, he'd make the playoffs every single year. Yes. In baseball, just having Mike Trout means squidaddle, nothing. The basketball coach, like that's where Doc Rivers, he gets criticized, like, you know, they're not doing this. That team would have been a mess this year if a coach didn't have that team together with the whole Ben Simmons thing. I agree with that. Right. So in baseball, it's really hard because. It is. I go back and forth on it. I'll be honest. You well, know my stance on coaches, but I am back and forth with this conversation a little bit. Right, because we all assume that if the coach makes this decision over that decision, that this decision was going to work because that one didn't. And that doesn't mean if you made that decision that that decision was going to work. It just you would have done something differently than the decision he made. And then you just assume that your decision would have worked out. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's like, hey, why didn't yeah. you pitch Knable three days in a row? And now we're all saying you got to get Knable out of there. I don't even want this guy. We're, a week ago, you were arguing that he should have been the guy pitching three straight days. And now you want to remove him as the closer. Right. And I think it's interesting because with baseball, it's easier at the surface level to place blame on the manager. Like, okay, I'm the manager versus Mike Gill. I decide to go to reliever X. You decide to go to reliever Y. Reliever X throws a hanging curveball in the bottom of the ninth. Home run team loses. Reliever Y throws a slider for strike three where it's like, well, if you didn't go to that guy, you don't lose the game. But it's it's never that simple in baseball. Right, because the analytics said to go to that guy because 73% of the time, he's going to get a ground ball. Well, on the other 27% of the time, he gave up a home run. Where if you go to basketball, Doc Rivers makes a substitution. That guy is one of five, right? He can miss a shot. He can make a turnover. But it's still not as tangible as far as cause and effect. Right. Look, I think... The, the the coach to me that has the most impact is football by far. They call yes. every single play. They have a hand in every play. They call the play. Now, they don't execute the play, but they call the play. Basketball, there's not a whole lot of play calling going on in the NBA. I mean, by the time you're to the NBA, it's, yo, know, roll out the ball one-on-one. Because I think you posted the Bradley Beal thing. I did. Which was... Awesome. Awesome. He said, he goes, dude, there ain't nobody in college basketball that can even score 20 points a game. None yeah. of you guys can score. You all stink offensively. <laughs> right. Like You got to play to win. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, stop playing for your stats because your stats stink. Yep. Play to yep. win, not for your stats because your stats are no good. In other words, in the NBA, it's hard to say, I'm going to call a play for this one guy. Why? There's not enough guys that are talented enough that can score in the NBA in a one-on-one situation. Well, there is, but I hear you. And and his point was there's only a handful of dudes in division one at the highest level in college that can average 20. All you guys are trying to get there. None of you 
are either going to get there. And if you do get there, yay, an average in 20. So, so adjust your mindset. Absolutely. And, but I, you know, his point kind of is as, as good as you all think you are, none of you are really as good as you think you are. And in other words, if I'm the coach of the team, I'm saying, man, I don't really have a guy that can get me a bucket. How many teams have a guy that can get a bucket? Where the coach can call the play specifically because he knows that guy's going to get me a bucket. Well, and, and during the regular season or the playoffs, because the answer is different depending on that, too. So there's a lot well, of levels to it. The playoffs, the playoffs. Because I think we've yeah. all minimized the regular season so much now that we're almost not judging you, although Sixer fans will judge all 82 games. <laughs> <laughs> and every quarter, every minute. That's true, too. But, that's what we're doing with the Phillies, and that's why it's so exhausting with this team because there's 162 games. You know, you already fired your manager. They still have 100 games left to go, right? Like, what is this team? I'm going to answer it with the past decade of facts. This team is, if we're lucky, a 500 team, right? They, they'll, they'll sucker us in. They'll give us a good week. They'll give us a good couple weeks, and we all know what's coming. We all know until they prove otherwise, no offense, Robbie Thompson. I, I don't have faith in this, in this club. I don't know what Rob Thompson can do unless he can go get a glove and go get a bat that can significantly change the reality of what this team is. Yes. Um, here's one thing I'll say to that. I remember we were sitting at, uh, what, the, um, the Marquis de Lafayette doing shows and going back and forth in the middle of the summer about, oh, this team's only two games out. Yeah, I don't believe in them. Well, they're only two yep. games out, and we're in the month of September now. Like, we're in the final month. Well, I don't believe in them. Why? Because they didn't have a player that we can believe in. And then the next year, they're right there, and they still didn't have them. Then they get Bryce Harper, and they're right there, and we still don't believe in them. Well, now they have Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos and JT Romuto and Zach Wheeler. And we're still going to say, well, the the framework of everything they've done in the past makes me not a believer. They've upgraded this roster significantly. I think us as Phillies fans should know better than almost any other fan base. You look at the World Series team. I mean, Matt Stairs. You know, drank about 12 Bud Heavies before he hit that moonshot into the night. All right, it was just a bunch of Island of Misfit toys, essentially. Maybe I'm exaggerating for the point. You look at the Roy Holiday team, that team was eight times better. They didn't win no, They didn't win a World Series. Like baseball, you can have the guy. You can have four of the guys. It still may not well, it goes be back enough. To the, it goes back to the trout point. It goes to last night's game. Why are the Brewers good and the Phillies are not? The Brewers lineup is not better than the Phillies lineup, but they have a guy. Now, last night he didn't close the game out. He hasn't given up a run since July of last year. That's why they're good, because baseball is very much like the NFL, where a lot of these teams are very evenly matched. But they have a guy that in the ninth inning, if you have a 3-2 lead, you ain't losing that game. But if the Phillies have a 3-2 lead, it's a 50-50 proposition on whether or not they're going to close that game out. And that's the difference between a Brewers team that makes the playoffs and a Phillies team that's still trying to figure it out. But And, and that's what makes baseball so great is the NBA. If you have three of those guys, you're going to be playing on June 8th, right? In baseball, if you have three of those guys, 
it, it don't mean bleep. It don't matter who your manager is. It doesn't matter how many stars you have. It, like everything has to come together at the perfect time, multiple times, and, and a little bit of luck. It's the craziest sport in the world. All right, Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. We got more on the other side. Uh, we got a good discussion. You can text in 609-403-0973. If you're listening on the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, you can message us on the app on your phone. And, uh, you know, baseball, basketball, how much do these coaches, managers mean? Is Rob Thompson making a difference for the Phillies right now. We got that. Plus, uh, we're going to get into the NBA Finals tonight. We got betting stuff for the game, the Phillies game tonight. Which sport does the coach matter more? Baseball, basketball. You heard, I read that quote from Joe Madden and what he had to say about analytics right now. And he's an analytic guy, and he's even said it's gone too far. We'll get into all that and more coming back here on the Sports Bash. Now, back to the Sports Bash. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. ESPN. 347 Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN brought to you by the AC Airport. Plan your summer vacation now. Spear Airlines is offering nonstop flights from AC International to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. Ryan Rothstein is the host of the Philadelphia CityCast. You can get the pod day, podcast five days a week. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, yesterday we were asking the most iconic play in Philadelphia sports history. You mentioned stairs into the night. That's why it racked my brain. Is that Would that be your answer? <laughs> most iconic in Philly sports well, history? Well, it was 20 years ago yesterday or the day before that – uh, Iverson did the step over to Lou, and that's kind of how it came up. Barstool Sports Philly asked the question, and we probably had, I mean, a thousand answers yesterday. I had mine. There's no debate for me, but others disagreed with me as usual. <laughs> most iconic, it's most memorable, the the most famous. Uh, it's it's the Philly special. You know, that's that's just the most when you ask 100 Eagles fans about that Super Bowl, you know, the answer is going to be Philly special, Philly, Philly. Yep. I mean, that play is the most memorable. No doubt for me. It's the Brandon Graham strip sack. It's the most important play in the history of the city. Well, I agree with that, but I don't think it's the same as iconic. I think that I find it to be iconic because of all of this. 216, Brady has the ball. They have a chance to drive and win. He gets the strip, the sack, and the camera goes to Brady sitting on his ass in disbelief that he <laughs> that they're gonna lose this game. Yeah. So that's I, I don't think that but yeah, I, I listen, if we're talking about the biggest moment, the reason why they won, it's it's that play. But that play, I would argue, doesn't get talked about enough. So to me, that's why it can't be most iconic. All right. Well, that's fine. 
No uh, further right, questions. We got no further questions, Your Honor. All right. Uh, NBA Finals tonight. Some betting stuff for the NBA. What are we seeing tonight? This is interesting. Back in Boston, it feels like Boston wins big, loses big. Wins big, loses big. That seems to be the pattern. It seems to be the pattern for the past month, going back to the conference finals on on both sides. It's just it's weird, man. I, I hope this series tightens up a little bit and it doesn't continue to be on that you know, lopsided uh, seesaw. But I did see a stat when the series is tied at one in the NBA Finals. The winner of game three goes on to win the series 84% of the time. So, you know, this is basically game seven here tonight if you want to go off that stat. I mean, Golden State's getting three and a half. You know, and for me, picking the Warriors in seven, I, I, I feel good about taking the Warriors with the points. But I'll throw a player prop out there. Steph Curry at Bet Rivers, four and a half threes made, priced at plus one oh five. He's gone over that in both of these games. I mean, I'm I'm riding that until he he proves otherwise, Mike. Four and a half threes. Yeah. Six in the first quarter in the game one. Uh <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's gotta be a night though where he just doesn't shoot it well. Does there? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I guess not. You're yeah. right. Not, I guess he doesn't yeah. have to not shoot it well. I just I feel mean, like because Boston is good, like the seesaw. I feel like Boston has the big game tonight. We talked about it last time. Oh, this is the game for Boston to kind of get on the road, game one. And they didn't win the game on the road. They they won handily. Now it comes back here, and it's like, well, they lost bad. And everybody's talking about, oh, the thing has kind of shifted. This has been the Boston whole playoff run. Yeah, it has. I feel like they they do better when they're getting overlooked when they're the dog, right? Like they're going into Golden State game one, and and that's the game that they steal. It's the Al Horford game. He follows that up with a <laughs> a two point performance in game two. My goodness, um, How does that happen? But you're right. You're right. I mean, experience versus energy, for lack of a better way to phrase that. Yeah, and you get the whole Draymond thing. Like, we were talking, I guess, before the series, like, ah, I don't think Draymond will get in Boston's head. You know, Boston's a tough team, and I didn't think they would allow that to happen. Well, they let it happen, all right. Game two, that was the whole story. Yeah, no, it was, and that's why he, he's so pivotal to that Golden State team and their success. Like, like just by, yeah. by, by doing that, he's by getting the, in, in between He's their years. version of Rodman for the Bulls. Absolutely. And he's an all-timer at that. I put him up right up there with Rodman. I think, you know, the Tatum-Brown thing, you know, they were so good in the first half, they went away in the second half. I don't know that Boston – I had Boston in seven winning this thing. I just – it's like they haven't had that same third guy. It's like a different guy all the time. And that's why I feel like they have these ebbs and flows of they win big, they lose big, they win big, they lose big because they're 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 depending on a different third guy or they don't I don't know that they're depending is not the right word. They're just getting a different third guy. I think that can be argued as a positive. I mean, Jason Tatum has 12 points in game one. Al Horford, you know, comes out of nowhere. They win that game. You know, I feel like the Warriors, they have depth, they have pool, you know, Wiggins, Green, Clay. Clay Thompson's the X factor, right? He was terrible in game two. Mm. Terrible. All right. I feel like so much pressure is on Steph Curry. And as you mentioned, maybe he does have an off night coming. Clay is going to have to step up, not pool, not Wiggins, Clay Thompson. Uh, we talked about this with Monica McNutt. Would you play pool or Thompson in the for- like late fourth quarter? 
it's Thompson, and it's not even it's not even a question. All right, okay. Uh, real Why, quick, did you go pool? I just threw it out because Thompson seems like he's been pressing. Yeah, listen, I agree. I don't think he's himself. He's pressing, uh, but he's been there. I, I would to, to make a big shot if if the game was on the line. Um, all right, Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Boston, Golden State tonight. You can hear the game on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, you got it, uh, any baseball Phillies numbers for tonight you like? I, I took the under. Uh, at Bet Rivers, it was set at 8. I see another lower-scoring game, especially with both these pitchers on the mound. Uh, I want to ride the Phillies, but as you said with Steph, I, I just feel like their night's coming here. You got Nola and uh, Adrian Hauser going for the uh, brouhaha's tonight. You like the under in that one. Uh, Nola's an actually been pitching well. You know, Nola's yeah. whip is zero nine three now. I saw that. Yeah, it's actually in my notes. 3.92 ERA, zero nine three whip. Uh, he went seven scoreless on April 24th against Milwaukee. All right, that's tonight. Brewers and Phillies back in action. Got NBA Finals. Game number three, you can hear it tonight on 97.3 ESPN. For more betting tips, numbers on the NBA Finals and the Phillies, check out the Philadelphia City Cast with Ryan Rothstein at WiseRye on Twitter. And, of course, uh, we'll have a preview of Game 4 on Friday on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, man. We'll talk to you then. All right, man. Thanks. All right. Download the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, the Philadelphia CityCast, if you like what you hear from Rye. Those Joe Madden comments, I want to bring them up a little bit later on in the show because I think it's a very interesting point that he makes. We'll have that later on. we got football at four on the other side. Eagles back at OTAs on the field today with Jeff Mosher from InsideTheBirds.com. See at the OTAs. He explains to us coming up next here, football at 4, 97.3 ESPN. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for football at 4 with Jeff Mosier. My personality is I, I want to win badly. I want to win more Lombardis for Philadelphia and our fans. we got the greatest fans around, and I will do everything possible. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. This is Football at Four. And Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It drops Mondays and Thursdays. Check out the Inside the Birds podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, Jeff Mosher is with me today for another edition of Football at Four. The Eagles back in action as uh, the Birds taking flight over at the Novacare Complex. We know the start of training camp July the 26th, so... We saw the Eagles on the field today. It's good to, uh, you know, I guess this is it, right? This is the final uh, couple days before they pack it in for good, right? Yeah, today is, I guess, their last camp practice, and then they're gone after tomorrow. So um, it's going to be quite a while. A lot lot of time in between. And uh, I would even, I think the word action today is a pretty liberal use of the word based on what I saw for about an hour and 10 minutes. All right, so uh, let's go there. What did uh, what was going on up there today? What were some of the things uh, that you were able to kind of watch and uh, kind of take in up at NovaCare this, this afternoon? So the practice started about 10 to uh, 1 and ended right around 2, 2.05. But I would say there was nothing 
rel- nothing close to like a a seven on seven or you know something that we would ordinarily be excited about until about ten minutes to two. So I would tell you tell you there were probably ten to fifteen minutes of if and I'm probably being generous there of seven on sevens. The rest was warm ups, special teams drills, position individual position stuff. So for example, I happen to be standing near the wide receivers. And oh by the way, there were a ton of people not there that you were would hope to see. No AJ Brown, no Devontae Smith. I don't think Dallas Goddard was there. Jalen Rager wasn't there. Lane Johnson wasn't there. Didn't see Nicobe Dean. I don't think I saw Jordan Davis. I, I mean, there's just I, I don't understand what's going on, like how this passes for practice anymore. But I I guess I'm I'm starting to have my first get off my lawn moments <laughs> uh, covering this team. So <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was watching a couple of receivers do drill. They were doing different types of drills, like uh, comeback drills, and you know things using pads and things like getting around blockers. But uh, it was just that that the wide receiver group consisted mainly of, I guess, Quez Watkins, Zach Pascal, John Hightower, Greg Ward, and then a couple of the uh, you know the Britton Covey guy and um, some guys you've never heard of before. Right. So, so you're at the point where you're like, what are they even doing out here? Yeah, that, that's, that's fair. That is absolutely <laughs> well, fair. And, I, and it's, the funny thing is, like, right before they they go to seven on sevens, you know, forty five fifty five minutes later after the start of practice. Sirianni calls the team together. They're all standing in a circle, and it's hard to hear him. It was some kind of competitive game that he had them playing, right? You know, that the seven-on-sevens were, I guess, maybe a point system or whatever. So it almost made it seem like there was some drama building. He's got the whole team in a circle. You hear him say something, Jalen Hurts this, uh, something but that, this, that. So maybe he was dividing teams or whatever he was doing. Um, and then they broke for the seven on sevens, and it was literally like normal seven on seven. I mean, I'm sure that they felt it was competitive, but it, you know, compared to what what I'm used to, certainly not. Well, well what, so what are some of the things that you are used to? Like, what was one of these OTAs generally like, as opposed sure. to what you're seeing? Yeah, you know, you get there. There's about ten minutes of warm ups, generally, right? Um, you you might see some special teams work. You know, the punt return, the kick return. Um, that they were doing the coverage units, things like that. Then you'll you divide into your position groups, which again they did all this, but they just did it for so long. What I didn't see was wide receivers versus corners, right? Offensive linemen versus defensive linemen, um, other like more competitive type drills that you would see in, in training. I mean, you would see those one on ones between receivers and corners mm-hmm. for. 15, 20 minutes, right? You would see the one-on-ones between the linemen and uh, and uh, and the, the offensive and defensive linemen, and they just don't they haven't been doing that, or at least they didn't do that today. Um, and then if you're going to have seven on sevens, which they did, missing half your team, you know, like, no AJ Brown, Devont, uh, Dallas got it was there, so no no AJ Brown, no Devonte Smith, no Jalen Rager, no I don't think Bradbury was there. I saw Slay. It just it's different i i don't know what to tell you i just you know i got a lot of carrie vincent versus uh some guy whose last name is wheatfield i think <laughs> i'm not lying there's a receiver there named somebody wheatfield um i guess the, asking if the most important guy was there is jalen hurts was he yes. there and and is he a guy that you know you zoned in on uh with the lack of activity but hey there's jalen hurts i want to check him out yeah he was there he was there. I watched him throw five or six passes. Um, looked pretty decent. He had one of them across the middle. 
that was uh, to Covey, you know, Britton Covey, the uh, unrestricted free agent guy. Um, Covey kind of got banged up a little. I don't want to say hit hard, but he got, there was contact, so he didn't make the catch. The ball went in the air, and Davion Taylor picked it off and started to run it back. That was probably the most exciting thing to happen. Uh, I, I left like five minutes before the official ending, so maybe something happened after that, but that was about it. Yeah, on the first snap, Mike, this was what caught my at- uh, attention. First snap of seven on sevens, Jalen Hurts takes the snap, looking at the field, nobody really open, uh, and and why would there be when Tim Whit was somebody Wheatfield and somebody you know? <laughs> well, all these guys I never know <laughs> because I did see I did see somebody tweet that James Bradbury got beat on a play today, so he had to have been out there. Oh, maybe he was there. Okay, it's listen, it's hard to keep track of every every single person there. Fair. But um, but so on the first. First snap, he takes the ball. No one's really open, so he rolls to his right to complete a pass along the right sideline, which is fine in itself. But my thought process is it's seven on seven. There's no defensive lineman. There's no pass rush. You have you can literally stand in the pocket for 35 seconds if you want to and just wait for somebody to shake and get open and complete a pass there. So I, I think like if you're Jalen Hurts and you know that you're trying to work more on staying in the pocket, not leaving your why, why would you even be tempted to roll to your right to complete a pass instead of just staying in the pocket every single time? No one's going to hit you. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I also don't know what the play call was and what the design of the route was. I, I just it stuck out to me that when you have all the time in the world and no one rushing you and you know that that's what you know something that you should work on, you should just. Do everything you can to stay there, even if it takes 30 seconds. Right, because I – okay, just to clear up, I did see a tweet from Brandon Lee Galton who says, Qued Watkins roasted James Bradbury for another uh-huh. deep touchdown throw by Hertz. The tweet before that was, Hertz deep bomb touchdown to John Hightower, uh, who's had a good practice. Anthony Harris and Avante Maddox trail to coverage. Hightower celebrates, yada, yada. But nice. Hertz – Must have happened after I walked With out. a couple of deep <laughs> throws – uh, but the theme of this afterwards, uh, and I guess Sirianni had spoken recently here, uh, Dallas Goddard saying Hurts is defi- like definitely getting the ball out faster, making quicker decisions. And Sirianni mm-hmm. also said that he has acknowledged that the ball is definitely coming out quicker from Jalen Hurts. Well, I, that's a good thing, and it should. You know, it's just second full year in that offense. And, um, you know, again, I would have liked to have seen his receivers were going to be with him there. But that's not my call. So, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, like know. AJ Brown, you would think, hey, I just got traded here. My buddy's at practice. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll show up. This well, isn't I a, but I don't want to make this to, like, like he's going out you know, getting sconces, and that's why he's not there. <laughs> yeah, no, th- yeah, I'm certainly not coming down on the players. Uh, it's not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd be shocked if it wasn't that they were told, you know, this is your day off, or this is your maintenance day, or this is your day to work with the with the weight staff, whatever it is. But it's just really shocking to me how much things have changed for the Eagles. So sometimes you say, well, this is a like no contact at training camp is absolutely a league wide thing. There's no question about it. You very, you see it very, you know, all over the, the league. But as far as I know, the Eagles and Bengals are the only teams in the NFL that are taking such few OTA days that are allotted to them. You're allotted X number, and the Eagles have said, and the Bengals have said, no thanks, we're just going to do fewer days, right, and then get the guys out of here sooner. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm telling you, I, you know how long I've been doing in this business, Mike, same thing with you. I bet you have never come across a coach at any level 
right? Any sport, any level who said, I would rather have less time to work with my team. It's just, and I'm, yeah, I'm not, I know this sounds critical. I'm not. I'm basically saying this is culture shock for someone who's covered the, 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 the league as long as I have yeah. on how, how, Right, because it's like if the league is giving you an opportunity to be out there, most of these coaches are taking it. There was a team that just got banged again. I forget who it was. It's usually the Ravens, but I don't think it was on. For for violating, I think it was the Bears who violated the rules of practice. I think they were over practicing, which I don't want to say makes sense, but they have a whole new coaching staff, right? So you you get like why some of those teams are trying to bend the rules a little bit. You know, the Eagles, I mean, it's not like this coaching staff is 10 years in with three Super Bowls either. So I, 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 I'm sure it's all sports science related and sports science driven, and that's fine. Analytics may play a role in it too. I'm just so unaccustomed to it. And there is a part of me that says, how can you, at the, for what you are right now as an organization, how can you turn down the opportunity to have practice time? Uh, it's surprising to me. I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, one of the things that um, seems to have come up today is Isaac Samal, who did speak, coming off mm-hmm. the list, Frank. He said he's ahead of schedule there, but kind of admitted that there's been a little bit of adjustment to go to right guard, but did acknowledge that he's kind of lost that left guard spot, which we all knew. Yeah, I mean, I'm, obviously, right? So um, almost acknowledged that he deserved to lose the left guard spot because he said Dickerson was so good. Yeah, Dickerson was pretty good. And the fact is, he's younger. He's a higher draft pick, uh, the, the potential to be even better. So and, and say Amalu, you know, you can say it's not you should never lose your job to injury. We all know that that happens anyway, but it's not just one injury. Sam has had a little bit of difficulty staying healthy now for two years to the point where you look at the the contract that he that he signed. It's not exorbitant, but it's still starting guard caliber and here he is fighting for a starting guard spot. So it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out. And that's not an easy injury to come back from for anybody that lives Frank. It's it's a painful injury and said he had two um, surgeries. And yeah, yeah, two surgeries. So there was a time where the sports hernia surgery was really difficult to come back from, and a lot of guys would have to have that uh, redone as well. And there are some guys whose careers were just never the same after that. Yeah, so no, we'll have to he see said how. that getting two surgeries is normal. It's one to put metal in your foot and then the other one to get it out of your foot. So oh, that, okay. that it is a normal okay. to get two surgeries there. Um, by the way, but that I just guess, goes to show you the process of it. It's not an easy process to come back from. Um, I guess Sirianni... Gave him off tomorrow. He's not even using the last day of OTAs tomorrow. He said, we're not using it. They get the day off. They're, so I, I guess today's it. I, I guess that's it. Yeah, it's weird because I had heard that there would be something tomorrow, but then it wasn't like a certainty, and I guess now there isn't. So um, it came and went that fast. Yeah, you're right. Um, I, I do want to get your thoughts because uh, Adam and I had talked about this a little bit yesterday, but um, Sirianni, because this was a discussion under Doug Peterson about – him calling the plays. And earlier in Peterson's career, 16, 17, um, you know, obviously changed a little bit. But the first year, there was a lot of, hey, you know, maybe he's got too much on his plate. That whole dynamic of the head coach calling plays. Sirianni, mm-hmm. we, we found out, wasn't calling the plays. Uh, Sirianni expanded on that today and said he wanted to free up uh, for other in-game head coaching duties. And I got to give him a lot of credit for that. Like to say, there's too much on my plate, man, and I'm not doing our team uh, – I'm doing our team a disservice here. I'm going to let this guy call the plays. Yeah, and, and it's 
Yes, that is true. He did. But it's not like he was completely removed from the process either. It's, you know, I believe he had like veto power and he knew the plays that were getting called in. So it's not like he was just so far removed from the play calling that he'd be after the game. Hey, Shane, I'm surprised you called this or that. I mean, he was he was knowledgeable of what plays were called at the time. So he's pretty invested in it. But um, it is good on his part that he recognized the need to be more of the CEO at a time where the Eagles were really struggling, uh, needed more leadership. Let's remember, he did not call plays as the Indianapolis Colts offensive coordinator. So he clearly wasn't hired by Jeffrey Lurie because he was like a, considered a mastermind play caller. Not that he wasn't considered a good, it's just that he didn't have a resume of it. So he, he obviously got through to Jeffrey Lurie as a CEO type of head coach. So it was probably smart of him to then be that way when the team really was at its worst point. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, OTAs uh, looks like are done, um, unfortunately. Isn't it, isn't it crazy? Like, for you as a sports talker, you have to remember days where, like, you would have, whether it's me or other writers on, call in. Like, what would you see at OTA? Day after day after day, you had people charting quarterback throws, right? And you had people, uh, you know, r- really getting excited about the defensive uh, end versus the offensive tackle yep. one-on-one. Like, th- there's none of that. There's zero content. Out of these things now. I mean, I, even, when the, even when the media is invited, there's nothing to really write about. Right. I, I, I never um, remember where they have just didn't utilize the, the time at all. Yeah. And then yeah. had a day tomorrow scheduled and said, according to uh, Jeff McClain's tweet, it said, Sirianni said wide receiver coach Aaron Moorhead caught the second of two punts and gave the team the day off tomorrow. It's almost like, hey, if you make these free throws, practice is over. If you catch these two punts, no practice tomorrow. Yeah, usually that's a player who's on shaky state. I don't know what that means for Aaron Moorhead, though. He's got to be the one to field the punt. That's kind of funny. Right. So uh, the moral of today, I guess Jalen Hurts connected on a couple 40-yard passes for touchdowns. Yep. With guys he might – well, Quez Watkins, I guess. John Hightower is interesting he was the guy who got more time than Watkins as a rookie, and then right. Watkins kind of usurped him last year. Yeah, and then if you remember, Hightower was not among the first wave of futures contract signings, right? They, after the season was over, they signed a couple, a bunch of guys to futures contracts, some other wide receivers, but not John Hightower. So it was like, oh, are they finally, you know, washing the hands? And then a few days later, they wound up, or maybe a week later, they did re-sign him to a futures contract, and you know, here he is again. Uh, real quick, I, I did get this uh, little nugget today that Gardner Minshew threw an interception. Uh, Davion Taylor with the pick. That's the one. I was, I'm sorry, that wasn't hurt. That was the one that was over the middle to Britton Covey. He got bumped. The ball went in the air, and yeah, Davion Taylor snagged it Kaiser out of the air. Kaiser White back. batted it up in the air. Yep. And Davion Taylor was there. Yeah, that was the excitement. And then well, I guess when I left, a couple of bombs from Jalen Hurts, and that was it. End there of practice. You go. That's it. There you go. Period. Point blank. Thank right. God, by the way, I would think for you especially, but I just remembered years where when the Sixers were going through their process and the Phillies were had you know two or three or four years removed from trading the big three, that Eagles OTAs was the savior in this city for just something to like be excited <laughs> about or something to hear about, read about. Oh, Jordan Matthews, he's wearing 81, he's catching all these passes, you know, and... And right. now it's like, thank God the Phillies and the Sixers are at least providing some content. Even the Flyers need a head coach, so that that gives you a little content. Hey, listen, I hosted four-hour shows through a pandemic with no <laughs> sports. 
I do remember those days, too. I feel like I can handle myself okay here, all right? You can. You can. But right. I bet you had Eagles those days to talk. <laughs> uh, if not, you made it work. Jeez, I don't even remember. where Those days are foggy memories at this point. I don't even know what the hell we were talking about at that point. I, I'm we, with you. We did do, uh, like, the, the NBA jam rosters. <laughs> we're on those teams. Um uh, yeah, we the did, Jazz were the best, right? With Stockton and Malone, they, yeah, were, they were the best. We we did something like uh, five process Sixers a day, like we were trying to oh, figure that man. out. Yeah. The process was such a great time in sports. I mean, actually, what did I had yesterday, I threw this down. So because we, we were talking about um, I, the, the whole Iverson thing came up the other day about being the the iconic play, and I uh, said it's the Brandon Graham strip sack. It's not even a debate for me. I mean, right. That's, that's the most iconic play. It's the most important play in the history of the city. Every yeah, sport. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Point blank. Um, but we were talking about a Eagles. I can think this was Adam Kaplan yesterday with us about an Eagles 30 for 30. Mm-hmm. What the heck? Were, what were we talking about? I can't remember. But it, it was something that came up about the. Oh, he said that Ertz, I guess, told him. That the Philly Philly play was supposed to be a running play originally, and I had oh, never really? heard that before. <laughs> I don't think I'd heard that one either. He said, "Right." He said it was supposed to be a running play, and uh-huh. then that's when Foles said, "Hey, you want to do Philly Philly?" And he said, oh, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" It's unbelievable, right? <laughs> uh. Uh. All right. Well, OTAs are done. Yeah, and you know, real quick, I know you're trying to move on but like OTAs were co- always cool for us because I mean the draft picks the under we, I, Rube, Rube Frank and I when, when I, we were at CSN we would like make up um, sports center style nicknames for guys like uh, you know like C, like Rashad Barksdale right we would say Rashad last train to Barksdale and you know all the stuff that they used to do back on sports center in the days and it was just fun you, there was always good stories too to write about some of the guys who are just fringe players trying to make it on the team and then you'd have your your Greg Salases, your guys were like, oh, they're ripping it up at OTAs. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. And, we had and for just, years, well, yeah. we had Mr. Lehigh for years. Like, who would be yep. that guy? Paul Turner, uh, Hank Basket. Basket. Yep. Um, yep. You know, we're, we're Lorenzo like, Booker. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I used to, um, when I did my internship up in Philly, I had to set the broadcast up at Lehigh. Right. That was like right. part of my job, drive to Lehigh and set up the morning show broadcast. And I'm like, man, mm-hmm. those were the days when you drive all the way out to Lehigh to go watch the team practice. Tell me about it. Twice. Twice in a day they would practice. That's right. I mean, they that, two days. Now they don't even do anything. And there, then they would hit. And those guys were spoiled because the guys before them, the Mike Quicks and the Carmichaels, would always be like, we had, pre- we had seven preseason games. We had three months of, uh, of training camp, basically. Jeez, so, I mean, about it's. That. It's. I don't know what it's going to look like ten years from now. It's going to be crazy. Right. All right. Well, Jeff, Mosher, right, inside the birds.com. The inside the birds podcast tomorrow morning at six a.m. They'll talk about no OTAs. <laughs> Probably. All right. Man. See ya. See ya. All right. There it's Jeff Mosher. Football at four tomorrow. Andrew DeCecco. We continue our look this off season at all of the divisions, and we will be having the AFC North tomorrow. We'll be talking about the AFC North. We'll preview all four teams in the North. The Checo every Thursday here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Uh, when we come back, we got the headlines. Stick around for that. What stories did we come up with today? 
Uh, Joe Madden. We, I want to get into those comments from Joe Madden, too. We briefly touched on them in the last hour, but I definitely think it's something worth bringing back up. More Sports Bash coming up. Now, back to the Sports Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ESPN. All right, take a look at today's headlines brought to you by Atlantic City Airport. Playing your summer vacation now. Spirit Airlines is planning uh, nonstop flights from Atlantic City International Airport to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. Josh Henning is my producer. These are the stories of today. So I got a spin on the Broncos sales story that has to do with the 76ers. Josh Harris involved here? Yes. So let's first start with the facts that we know up front. Broncos sold for basically double what the Panthers did. $4.65 million according to ESPN. It's the Walton Perner Group. Walmart heir Rob Walton and his daughter Carrie Walton Perner and her husband Greg Perner are purchasing... Of course, the investment group includes the chair of the board of Starbucks and the director of J.P. Morgan Chase. A lot of money people involved in this purchase. Of course, the sale is subject to an agreement by the NFL's full vote of the owners. 24 votes are required, yes, for approval. But according to Adam Schefter, all signs appear that this will be checkmarked and delivered. But did you know, Mike Gill? That Sixers co-owner Josh Harris made it clear, according to Pro Football Talk, that he was willing to pay $5 billion for the team if he could receive assurance that he would not be outbid. Yes, Harris's concern, according to Pro Football Talk, was that Walton Perner Group would trump his bid and he would be stuck in a bidding war for the team. Isn't that normal? Well, there's a reason why, according to this report from Pro Football Talk, that Harris did not want to force a bidding war with Walton Perner is because Harris is in pursuit of other NFL franchises and he had no interest in driving up the price of what the Broncos deal, setting a bad precedent for the next team he wants to bid on. Uh, I can't back him here. I mean, it's like you go to an auction. He puts five up. Somebody wants a bit more. He's well within his right. Now, according to the Broncos, according to ESPN, the whole plan all along was to accept all the bids anonymously from each other. But the Broncos would know. The Pat Bolin Trust would know. And that... They would pick from the bids by 3 p.m. their time, Mountain Time. I do Monday. think there should be a, um, like a deadline to make your bid. Right. There was a deadline on Monday at 3 p.m. Everyone had to fit their, submit their final bids and all the details, and that the Bolin family and trust would go through all the bids. And if I'm reading these reports. 
and believing him. It seems like that they were not happy with Josh Harris trying to dictate the terms of the purchase process. I guess. I don't know. I don't think Harris is in the right to try to set those parameters. But Pro Football Talk also went on to explain that they wanted to clarify that Harris, his bid was not actually $5 billion, but that Harris was willing to go to $5 billion if the Broncos were willing to tell him how much Walton... It only went for 4.9 or 4.5. 4.65. So he evidently didn't make the $5 billion. He didn't. Tell right. you what, that process seems to have worked. If he's putting up five billion to buy the football team, seems like he's done pretty well in that process. Well, remember, this would be the fourth franchise that Harris would have an investment in. Of course, you have the Sixers, you have the Devils, and of course, you have the British Premier League as well that Harris has put some money into. Gotcha. Well, he didn't buy the Broncos. No, but he could have, or could he have? Sounds like he could have if he wanted to bid. If he was willing to go all in. If he would have pushed his chips to the middle of the table, Mike, he might be the owner of the Denver Broncos. But no, he didn't want to put a bad precedent out there. Whatever the heck that means. Uh, I want to go up into your little dimension, the sports broadcasting dimension. Did you see the explanation behind Drew Brees not returning to NBC? Yeah, like a lifestyle choice or something to that Yes. NBC Sports Chairman Pete Baveka, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that name right, told the Associated Press that Breeze will not be a part of the NFL's or Notre Dame coverage on NBC this year because it has to do with Breeze's desire to spend more time with his family. Quote, the unbelievable busyness of an NFL career and then really not taking a break from it all and launching right into us with both Notre Dame football and the NFL it was certainly an around-the-clock assignment for Breeze. This was definitely a lifestyle choice for him, which is totally understandable, explaining why Breeze will not This is just be a way for to them NBC. to split equally. Split without any, you know, he got fired, yada, yada, yada. Frivolous. Well, this also seems to be another point brought up in this story. Breeze is still under contract with NBC. Yeah, well, that we knew. Rebecca said the But they're network, not going to get in his way of getting a job someplace else. Well, that's what he said. They're going to let him stink someplace else. He said the network will not stand in his way if another opportunity comes along. But he wanted to address the fact that Breeze is still under contract at the moment with NBC right. in the Associated Press Group conversation. All right. Well, uh, I don't anticipate him unless he really wants to be a broadcaster and he's willing to take a job that's not the number one job, which aren't out there anymore. Of course, Bebecca also went on to say to give Breeze a little thumbs up in on the LinkedIn profile by saying, quote, he was always unbelievably prepared, curious about how things were handled and the work that went into it, unquote. Basically, Breeze is a good guy and somebody else should hire him. He'll get another job if he wants it, right? If he wants to be a number two broadcaster for Fox and do the second games, like, uh, you know, the number two game, something like that, then, yeah, he'll get another job. But should he get another job? I didn't. I heard him do that one playoff game, and he was horrible. Right. But he wasn't horrible during Notre Dame and stuff like that. Like he had done other games where he wasn't horrible. Well, he also was in the studio a lot, and I don't think he was horrible there. He either. doesn't want to be in the studio, though. Apparently, 
apparently he wants to be in the booth. Yes, that's he wants to call games. Reports. And that's why, as this story I'm reading from from ESPN.com says, there's still speculation out there that Fox could be calling. Right. Um, I got a bunch today. Well, fire away. You got one? I got a bunch. Uh, HBO is going to air a documentary called 38 at the Garden. It is basically going to be about the run of Jeremy Lin, the Lin sanity. Do you have any interest? Uh, I have marginal interest. I'd have more interest if there wasn't already an ESPN films out there about it. I never saw that. It was a while ago. It was like a decade ago that thing came out. I mean, maybe this is more of a... Insanity was one of the most unbelievable moments in sports history. Yeah. I remember for whatever long that was, for however long that went. Oh, is this a documentary or a, a Showtime HBO it's an HBO. It will air 38 at the Garden, Jeremy Lin's short documentary this fall. Okay. So it's a documentary. It's not yeah. a... Uh... Based on real events. The Lin Sanity run is one of the most unbelievable runs of success and then bang, failure. I mean, not failure, but he just vanished after that. It's unbelievable. So I'm interested. I'm interested. I'm, it's not something I'm going to be like, you know, like when the Adam Sandler movie comes out, Netflix Hustle. Came out yesterday. Fuck you out today. 220, 221. Whatever, I'm going to watch that probably before I get around to the Lynn Sanity document. Well, it's not coming out to this fall. Oh, wow. That's way later than I expected. All right. Um, No, football season. I don't know. All right. Canadian Football League will air on all ESPN platforms with 20 regular season games on linear TV, and the rest are going to be on Plus. Did you see my tweet about this? No. I tweeted and reshared the picture from last summer. I asked the question, does this mean that when I go out to local establishments in South Jersey this summer, that I will see the CFL on my TVs at the bars again? I guess so. I mean, if you go out, do they not air USFL games? I don't know. I haven't been to a bar in a while. I mean, I've only seen a USFL game once. and Where are they at in their season? I think they're near the end of the regular season because the postseason is coming up in a week. I did see the Pittsburgh Maulers were eliminated from playoff coming. I think the Stars are in the playoff, Philadelphia. Yeah. Somebody was complaining, why would they name a Philadelphia team the Stars and put a star on their helmet? Because of the Stars? Yeah, well, the Dallas reference with the star. All right, I'm not going to... I didn't know I had to explain that. I don't know. Someone would question it. You're called the Stars. Why would... What else is going to be on your helmet? Why would you... Why would you call yourself the Stars and put a star on your helmet? Because the original USFL team was the Philadelphia Stars, yes, wasn't it? Yes, we get that. I obviously, was a younger It was a younger, uneducated who didn't buffoon. didn't know that there was a USFL team and that the whole league is basically called the teams that they were back in the day. Well, that individual is a very uneducated buffoon for asking that question. Yeah, just because he doesn't know that the USFL existed in 1983. Why don't you go get yourself educated? Who you know, cares about we, the USFL? We have, we have enabled an entire culture of people who are just behind this. vomiting on social media whatever they want. This. This, the USFL did not have a big enough impact for some random football fan to care about. Probably not even a football fan. 
Probably just some dope who... Like, if you were 25 years old, why would you know anything about the USFL? I don't know. Maybe because you know more about life than just what happened with the Kardashians maybe, last week. Maybe a three-year spring football league isn't all that important to them. Like, would you know, going back 20 years from now, that this AAF existed? I'm not the person to ask. I'm, 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 a, I'm the single guy I, I in this conversation that who kid. has a social life. You can't blame that kid. He's not a loser. He's a loser if he knows the USFL existed. Okay, so I'm a loser then. In so many words. Uh, Kevin Durant relished watching J.J. Redick and C.J. McCollum basically gang up on Stephen A. Smith. He said, quote, I'm locked in now. You're enjoying watching J.J. Redick basically just give it to Stephen A. Smith now. I, in fact, thought that Stephen A. was actually angry today. That he's being made to look like such a fool. It's his own fault. I mean, well, he, we don't know that he. I guess he has enough power, but did he pick to have Reddick on there, or is, is NBA uh, ESPN saying they want him on there? Um, I'm going to go off the working assumption that Stephen A. does have a say in what happens with the show. Maybe not like you know they get to clear every little thing with him, but. I'm assuming, considering his role in the show and his position, that he has some sort of something, like some sort of... Yeah, you know, I would imagine he has some say. I mean... Yeah. But it's just funny that Durant is now tweeting about the fact that he thinks that these guys are making Stephen A. look bad. Because, well, you know, they go back and forth now. Yeah, that. well, it also gets back to the fact that, you know, there there's a lot of these players who, you know, the Draymond Greens, the Kevin Durants, you know, who are basically coming out and saying, you know, on these different podcasts, like, you know, I am an athlete, you know, the Brandon Marshall pod, that they're basically saying that, like, look, there's some of these people in the media that I don't, I can't take them seriously. They're not real media reporters or they're just a bunch of blowhards. And there is some truth to that. But at the same time, you know, no offense to Kevin Durant, but he's the same guy who goes out of his way to have a blow-for-blow blow conversation on Twitter with some rando who he probably could just ignore. So, I mean, it's it's hard for me to be like, yeah, Kevin Durant, you know, when it's like, but Kevin, you're the same guy who wasted your time going back and forth with people on Twitter. It's like, eh. Stephen A. Smith's just a... Uh, a a guy with a blue check mark on Twitter, basically. <laughs> he uh, he had a rough day at the office yesterday. Let's just say that. If you want to go back and look at the uh, CJ McCollum and JJ Reddick, it's actually really funny. To roasted watch. him yesterday. It it was thoroughly entertaining. Can I call it that? If that's what entertains you, sure. I thought it was entertaining. You didn't think it was entertaining? Uh, it was almost uncomfortable to watch. Why is that? Um, when you have somebody kind of like, well, because JJ and CJ don't have this, they don't have these great like, uh, personalities. So they're very like dry. So they felt like you could feel like the tension in the room a little bit, which okay. makes it uncomfortable. All right. And I don't like that. Well, and, and, and look, Stephen A not being in there it really, these things where these guys are not there and you're doing a debate show and a guy is not in the room to debate is tough. Well, that part, I do agree, is I was hoping they would rectify this. I mean, his whole point of why was Russell Westbrook at the press conference? 
You know, they're, they're trying to trade you. Why would you show up to the press conference? Why not? Why can't he be there? Well, that was Redick and McCollum was right. basically saying he's still on the team. Like, why would he not show up if he's on the team? He's saying, well, because they're trying to trade you. So you're still there now. I mean, that was the whole crux of the conversation. Right, no, but know, he but made this... some diatribe argument about that he's not the same player. Yeah, he went on for like, said, a, like a minute. Well, what does that have to do with him showing up? And they basically, you know. Went yeah, they that. eviscerated him. Yeah, they, they got him pretty good. Uh, um, what else did I have here? Um, NHL ratings, by the way, 1.8 million, most since 2005 for the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I touched on that a little bit with you the other day, the ESPN ratings, and with Scott Laughlin last night from Sirius XM NHL Radio. I mean, the ratings across the board are massive. Massive increases over what it's been for basically a decade. You know, people actually are watching hockey again. That's just it be Well, that, they were the TNT ratings because that was uh, the Western Conference. I wonder if this Rangers-Tampa... Because keep in mind, there was a Canadian team, in, in so you get no credit for well, that. Well, according to ESPN numbers, the the first couple games of the Easter Conference series have been the most watched Easter Conference final games since 2013. Yeah, no, I think the ratings are going to be good for the series. And apparently it's up 69% you Colorado and either New York or Tampa in the finals, too. I, I think the NHL will be happy right now, you know, with either New York or Tampa, because there's a good storyline with both of them. All right, there's uh, some of the headlines from today. What else was out there? Well, Bryson DeChambeau is going to the uh, yep. tour as well, and uh, he's getting stupid money. Everybody is. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's joining this tour. Well, certain guys are. You know, if you notice, some of the guys, some people are saying that, you look at people who are joining the, the Patrick Reeds, the Bryson DeChambeaus, the Dustin Johnsons. Some of these guys are guys who have had not one recently. So the theory out there is they're going where the guaranteed money is. Well, that's the thing. They're The money's too big to turn down. So they're just saying, all right, whatever. I'm going to take the money. Take the money and run? What? Everybody. Would you Nobody has a soul. I don't know. How about this John Lynch story where he was um, offered, what, $15 million to go back into broadcasting with Amazon. Right. And he stayed with San Francisco, and he makes like $5 million. Like, at what point do I say, I have $5 bucks a year. I, I, I'm, I'm not piggish. I don't need any more money. Well, that's the thing. Some people, the, the money is more important to them than anything. Yeah, if, if I was making $5 million and you offered me $15 million, to do something I wasn't all that interested in, I'm not. I don't. I get it. It sounds preposterous to say it, but I don't really need the extra ten million. I think I'll survive. Well, I don't think it sounds preposterous because I, to me, I with you, I think that you know, money. Once you get to a certain level financially, it's, it's all kind of, it's all kind of just negligible at that point. Like, well, now for some people, other people, you know, whatever, like. Well, sure. There are some people that their quality of life and their lifestyle is more important than, you know, what is the best professional situation. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau seems like a pompous dude who's very, you know, big on just making as much money as he can. So maybe that's where his mentality and his values are. Now, I got the Phillies lineup. For tonight's game. That's next. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3. Yes. Now, back to more 
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. On 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, I got the Phil's lineup for you tonight in Milwaukee. Here you go. This is what you get, all right? Rob Thomas, pen to paper. But the Phil's trying to make it, what, six in a row tonight? Is that what it is? They've uh, won five in a row? They, yeah, they've won five in a row, four since the manager firing. They won the one game that they had the day off, and Girardi got fired. So they're looking for six in a row. Their starting lineup will be Schwarber, Hoskins, Harper, Castellanos, Real Muto, Gregorius, Bohm, Herrera, Stott, Pitching is Nola. So the one change tonight, you got Moniac out, Herrera in. Now, this is interesting because they both bat left-handed, Herrera and Moniac. So you can't really have a classic platoon with one righty hitter and one lefty hitter. You got the two lefty hitters. So he's going to have to kind of pick and choose when he uses those guys. And I know a lot of people want to see these young players and don't like Herrera. But here's Rob Thompson saying, I'm going with Odubel. Do you think that Veerling last night should have, what he did last night, should that have earned him uh, more playing time today instead of Herrera? Or do you think that was just well, who's, an uh, who's pitching tonight for the Brewers? Is he a lefty? I mean, uh, it's a, if it's a left-handed pitcher, maybe I consider Veerling. Is it Hauser tonight? Yes. Adrian Hauser. I think he's a right-hander. I think he is. So if that's the case, then you're going to go with a lefty. Either Moniac. Hauser's right-handed. Yeah. Either Moniac or Herrera. Okay. So, I wouldn't imagine you would have saw Veerling tonight against a righty. Okay. But if it was a lefty, I wonder if Rob Thompson would have gone with him. I'm just wondering if that's a situation where, like, you look at Veerling, look, you hit the home run last night, I'll give you a start today. Like, Or do you look at him and say, hey, you're my best pinch hitter, you know, moving forward? Well, I don't know that just because he had a home run last night, you're now my best pinch hitter moving forward. Let's not go that far yet. He's got sent down because he wasn't hitting at all. Right. So I don't know who their best pinch hitter is, by the way. I mean, Camargo's on the injured list. Well, I love the people online who are saying that they got to take Stubbs, get him more playing time, so put him at second base. I'm just like, is Stubbs ever played second base in his life? You'll have to show me one of those tweets because I have not seen any of that yet. Because uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, next hour, Jeff Curry will talk a little NFL. Uh, Joe Madden said something that will be very interesting if this starts to get talked about more. More Sports Bash coming up. We'll have that next here on 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Turn it up! Uh, All right, Sports Bash, we just gave you the Phillies lineup. They're playing the Brewers tonight, looking to win six in a row. Rob Thompson, uh, 5-4-0 as the manager of this team. 
But what role does the manager really have in the turnaround for the Phillies? Is it Joe Girardi's fault? Was Rob Thompson a better choice? Joe Madden got fired yesterday. Now, you might say, what is a guy who got fired? Why do we even want to hear from him? Well, he's been a World Series champion. He got to a World Series with the Toronto, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. That's a, an accomplishment in itself. So he was hired by the Angels and was fired yesterday after winning the World Series with the Cubs, for God's sakes. Um, Joe Madden fired. Now, he spoke to MLB Network yesterday. Well, it was Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. There you go. Oh, Ken used to be with the MLB Network. Yeah, Rosenthal. I think he still does like appearances, though. But I don't think so. Doesn't he appear? No, that anymore? whole thing. He got let go because uh, he was critical of... No, he's critical of Manfred. Yep. Right, right. I had a fact check you there. I, I can't remember <laughs> everybody who's going to and from. I'm, a, I'm making a joke. I can't make jokes with him sometimes. He doesn't get my jokes. My jokes fall flat with you, man. <laughs> We've had this conversation a million times. I think the audience is well aware that my humor and your humor do not line up. No, no, no. So Joe Madden gets fired yesterday. He talks to Ken Rosenthal. Now, keep in mind, all right, Madden is like the first analytic manager, right? He comes yeah. into the league with the Rays and really kind of is the first guy to use analytics. And the whole point of that 2008 Rays team, and for many years with the Rays, was that they found ways to win without spending the big money of, like, the Yankees and other teams like that. Right. A so, principle that they still use to this day, by the way. They still use to this day. It now, he, just, as the manager, embraces analytics. Yes. So he is a big analytics guy. He embraces analytics. But this is what he said after being fired by the Angels. And I think this is a huge topic of conversation moving forward. So Rosenthal was asking Madden in this one-on-one about, on the athletic, I'm reading from the athletic website, about, you know, why, you know, why do you think you got fired? What went into it? And one of the comments Madden said was, it was it's liberating. And Rosenthal is like, well, you said it's liberating. Why? Usually manager, managers are crushed when this happens. So that's the question before Madden's answer, to give you a little context. Madden then goes on to say, quote, it's been kind of difficult overall. I'm in analytics, says Madden, but not to the point where everybody wants to shove it down your throat. Real baseball people have felt somewhat impacted by all of this. You're unable to just go to the ballpark and have some fun and play baseball. It's too much controlled by the front office these days. He goes on to say, I actually talked to Perry, the Angels GM, about this. This isn't anything new. I told him that. I said, you just try to reduce the information you're giving. Try to be aware of who's giving the information and really be aware of when it's time to stay out of the way, Madden says. In general, the industry has gone too far in that direction, and that's part of the reason people aren't into our game as much as they've been. Wow, so there's a lot there. He's saying it's gone too far. Yes. This is a guy who embraces analytics. He's an analytics. He says, I'm into analytics. He was the first guy and almost was like the godfather of analytics. Like, hey, I'm going to start doing things. But he acknowledges that the game is all, has gone too far. Now, 
We used to have Seth Everett on the show every week. He covered Major League Baseball. He still does for uh, NBC Sports. Okay? And I remember him telling me on the show years ago, probably two or three years ago when we had him on weekly, that the managers no longer write the lineup cards. That the managers basically get the lineup card handed to them by the GM. The GM basically says, goes over his analytical sheet, looks at all the averages. Hey, this is what this guy does against this guy. This is what this guy does against that guy. Here's your lineup card for today. And you basically take that lineup card and you manage that game that night. But a lot of the stuff is all predetermined. So when Joe Madden, a guy who embraces analytics and has managed with analytics to a World Series, when he comes out and says it's too much, it's gone overboard, what do we think about that? I think it's time to start questioning the fact that it has gone overboard. And I think it's about time that we start looking at these managers differently. You know, you and I said it for weeks, Mike. I kept asking you, how much of the stuff we're going to play about Girardi is him? And how much of it is the coaching staff, the front office? You know, is somebody in his ear telling him, make this lineup change? Is someone in his ear telling him, this guy needs to come in in this inning? Now, we're seeing right now the Phillies are winning. But they haven't drastically changed the lineup, right? Not necessarily. I mean, you're starting to see this uh, top six kind of play right now. Really five, I guess six, because Didi just got back. But you're starting to see this top five kind of fall into place right now like it is tonight with uh, Schwarber, Hoskins, uh, Harper, Castellanos, Real Muto. You're starting to see that kind of get in there. But, like, tonight, does Rob Thompson make the decision that Herrera's going to play? Does Sam Fold, the GM, make the decision? He's the GM. People don't even realize Sam Fold, who played in Tampa Bay for Joe Madden. Very analytical guy. So does Sam Fold, is he the guy that makes the Phillies lineups? Does Dave Dombrowski make the Phillies lineup? Does Were they Dombrowski making the lineup for Girardi? Meet? I was going does, does Fold and Dombrowski meet and then tell Were they telling Girardi, here's our recommended lineup? I don't know if it's recommended. This or, might be here. Here's your lineup tonight. Because I do that, yeah. think that's what you were getting with Clintac. Yes. I think Clintac was making the lineup. Part of the reason why he wanted Gabe Kapler, Kapler. to be the manager was, hey, we're all on board here. We're going to go through. Now, I think Gabe Kapler probably sat in on those pregame meetings and said, look, Let's go over the numbers and see what the numbers say that our lineup should be tonight. Right. Now, does that mean that Joe Girardi isn't in on those conversations? I'm not saying that he wasn't. I don't know that. Maybe Joe Girardi was in on those discussions. And maybe Joe Girardi went overboard on going from one side of the ledger as a manager over to the other side of, hey, before I was this baseball manager, and now I'm becoming such an analytics guy. Did did he get caught up too much in it? Because let's be honest, you don't just go from some World Series manager to a jackass. Right. Let me ask you this question, Mike, because remember, it wasn't just Girardi who was, quote-unquote, relieved of his duties. It was also some other rando coach on the staff that most people never heard of, right? Was that guy maybe the analytics guy? Was that the guy who was supposed to be giving Girardi the information 
and they deemed it wasn't just Gerard that was problem. Maybe it was the guy feeding him the information. Well, from the front office. I can't. I mean, well, no, because the guy who got let go was a, a coach. But was he a guy who was? A you coach? said a, a guy feeding him the information from the front office. Okay, well, maybe not from the front office. But like, was he the analytics guy on the staff? Like, was he the co- baseball coach who's in-game Girardi's leaning on for numbers, maybe? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, know I, I don't know that it would matter if, if we're saying what Madden is saying is accurate. And I don't have any reason to think that he's not being accurate. I think Madden is a guy that you would say, I embrace analytics. And even I think it's gotten out of control. Right? Mm-hmm. So he comes out and says, it's too much. It's gone too far. Like, it's ruining the game. Right. One of the comments he said was when he talked to the GM, he said, he said, you got to try to be aware of who's giving the information and really be aware of when it's time to stay out of the way, unquote. Yeah. In other words, he's saying analytics has its place, but it shouldn't be every pitch of every inning of every game. Right. There has to be a time where you just say, my intuition's taken over here and I'm going to make a decision based on my intuition. So that's why I think it's so important that if Joe Madden comes out and says, here's the problem, he says it after he gets fired. So some people might say, well, who cares what a guy who just got fired has to say? But he was kind of a pioneer of using analytics. And look, as it was written... um, I think there was an article in The Athletic that said he was hailed as a pioneer with the Rays, adored for ending a curse with the Cubs. With the Angels, though, he was just another ineffective skipper. But why did all of a sudden he go from a World Series champion with the Cubs, a guy who took a downrotten franchise, the Rays, to the highest of heights that they've ever been to, Right, They got to their first ever World Series. And ever since he got there, that Rays franchise has been stabilized as one of the premier. They were talking about on Barton Han today about model franchises. And they threw the Rays into that as one of the model franchises. Which is crazy to say now, considering what they were for the first, what, eight years of their existence? So, if Joe Madden is saying this, I'm very intrigued by how the sport reacts to that. I think the sport's going to have to react because nobody's come out and denied it. Nobody's come out and said, Joe Madden went over the top. Joe Madden went too far. There's none of that. You haven't seen anybody coming out today. I mean, the story came out last late last night on the Athletic website, but they were talking about MLB Network today. Nobody on the, on the show was saying, Joe Madden's wrong. So if no one's coming out and saying he's wrong, then it is a problem and people have to address it. Right. Um, 609-403-0973. That's the text board. If you're listening on the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, you can message us through the app on your phone. The question he was asked was, you said it was liberating. Why? Usually managers are crushed when this happens. And he said, quote, it's been kind of difficult overall. I'm into analytics but not to the point where everyone wants to shove it down your throat. I think that right there, I'm into analytics, he's saying. Show me what the numbers are before the game. I'll take them into consideration. 
And I'm an analytics guy, he's saying. I've done that. I've taken the analytics into consideration. He said, real baseball people have felt somewhat impacted by all this. You're unable to just go to the ballpark and have some fun and play baseball. It's too much controlled by front offices these days. I actually talked to Perry about this. Perry is the GM of um, the the Angels. Perry, what's his name? Perry Mana. I gotta scroll. Uh, Min- or something like that. Perry uh, Minazian. All right. I talked to Perry about this. This isn't anything name. new. I told him that. I said you just tried to reduce the information you're giving. Try to be aware of who's giving the information and really aware of when it's time to stay out of the way. In general. The industry has gone too far in that direction, and that's part of the reason people aren't into our game as much as they have been. Now, the last part there is interesting. Is Joe Madden suggesting that the analytics work, their work, we should be using them, but because the fans aren't catching on to them, that that's something that we should take into consideration? I think he is suggesting that, and I think you see that a lot by the conversations that we have on shows like this or conversations that are had on social media or other shows, whatever platform it may be. There's a lot of people who have questions about why did you start this pitcher? Why did you take this guy out in the sixth inning or the fifth inning? Why was it 85 pitches instead of 95 pitches? There's a lot of conversations that we have that people are saying, Girardi's an idiot because he did this. And Joe Madden is saying, Maybe part of the reason why people don't understand what Girardi's doing or what I'm doing or is because... go back to Kapler. People thought was critical of Kapler. He doesn't know what he's doing. Well, maybe he wasn't giving writing the lineups or doing so much. I think what Madden is saying is the team I have isn't bad because I'm managing it poorly. I'm being told how to manage the team from Correct. someone above me. I am into analytics. But I want to use the analytics the way I want to use them. I don't want to be told by my general manager how to incorporate the analytics. I'm very open to analytics. But let me analyze the analytics and do what I want to do with them. Let let me, me, a quote-unquote, manage the analytics. In other words, hey, I got this hitter who hits the ball to the left side 35% of the time. Let me do what I want to do with that 35%. You hired me to be the manager of this team. So don't tell me how you want to manage this team. Let me manage this team. And I think you're going to see with those comments from someone like Joe Madden, I think you might see a little bit of maybe of I. Now, it's funny because I didn't see these comments or didn't hear them until you showed them to me. So I'm wondering if this is going to get more conversation. I think it will. Because, again, like I said, I read the article late last night and then I saw the quote again this morning on MLB Network. So I thought, okay, this is no longer just an article I read on The Athletic. This is MLB Network's main morning show with – you have Robert Flores. He's one of the hosts. He used to be on ESPN Sports Center. You have Carlos Payne who played for the Rays, by the way. Okay, Remember, he was on that Joe Madden team that played the Phillies. And he was had- also uh, on the A's and traded. In Moneyball. Yes. And then you have John Heyman, who is there. And John Heyman is, well, he's covered baseball for as long as I remember. So you have all of them having this conversation. And 
none of them are saying, and also Lauren Shahadi, she's covered baseball for a, over a decade between MLB Network and other platforms, but they're all saying, look, this is, there's something here. There's something that they were giving weight to this, saying Madden doesn't say something for saying it's sake. He has a reason for why he said it. Maybe we need to pay attention to this. That was the gist of what they were saying. So if they're saying it on the baseball channel, MLB Network, I'm assuming that it's not just going to be forgotten about. I hope so, because, again, I haven't really seen it all that much, where you're saying, hey, I'm into analytics, but you're shoving it down my throat. And it feels... I, I hope it does get brought up more... And that the industry takes a harder look at this. There's a guy like Joe Madden who, let's be honest, just because he got fired doesn't mean he hasn't been a successful manager. He has been basically, um, in fact, the second he got fired the other day, what's the first thing you saw? Philly should call this guy. Phillies right. need to call him. He's from the remember, PA area. Rapped, Rob Thompson is an interim manager. Right. So what's to preclude them from saying, hey, our manager's right there? Because he did say in that interview Yes. That he still wants to manage. Yeah, the he quote, still wants to manage. The quote at the end of the article says, you want to manage still. And he says, of course. Of course I want to manage. I'm really good at it, said Matt. Mm-hmm. So he wants to manage still. He doesn't think he's done. But does he want to manage in today's game? I think that's another interesting diversion of this. Well, the other thing is we just talked about front offices, right? So do managers – are managers like Madden now – going to not want to work with certain organizations because he says I went through this with the Angels and you're running your organization like the Angels did I don't want to deal with that so the question is are the Phillies with Dombrowski and Fold doing the same thing the Angels organization is doing or are they doing it differently I don't know but there's an interesting so now I'm seeing this story from Buster Olney who uh, also has an article about Madden that says this went a lot deeper than a 12-game losing streak. And it goes on to say that for months, evaluators around the league had been reporting unhappiness over Madden's day-to-day decisions, a sediment leaking more and more frequently out of the Angels' organization. Leaking out of the Angels' organization. So were the Angels preparing the groundwork to throw him under the bus before they ever fired him? Mm -hmm. So part of this was that the new GM was... Not Madden was not his guy. Correct. He did not hire him. And that was one of the questions, by the way, that Rosenthal asked in the article because he said, you know, the new GM came in here and hired some guys and told you you had to put them on your staff. Did you have a problem with that? And Madden said, no, I had zero problem with the guys he told me to put on my... And he goes through the different guys that they hired. But there's something similar to the fact that the GM gets hired by the Angels... And tells Joe Madden, you have to have Phil Neville on your staff. You have to have Benji Gill on your staff. You have to have Ray Montgomery on your staff. So was the general manager almost setting the groundwork to push him out? So one of the things that started a lot of this, apparently, according to the story, was that Madden basically let Trout sit out the season last year. Correct. That he basically had respect for Trout, didn't rush him back, and just said, basically, we're not going to bring you back. Then... He intentionally walked Corey Seager with the bases loaded, which obviously brought a run home. And that raised a lot of eyebrows. And he said, quote, I'm just trying to stay out of a big blow and also just stir the group up, quite frankly. 
That's something you don't normally do. And I thought just by going out there and doing something like that, the team might respond. Simple as that. Seager's that good. So I know it's early in the game, but I thought I could have changed the momentum of the game. I thought it was the right thing to do in that moment for us. So that gets looked at. That gets criticized. It goes on to say that he's always operated as much on feel as he has analytics. And that they basically sat down and put together a plan for a guy like Otani and what to do with him. And I guess there was some uh, disagreements on where that was going. Correct. So, I don't know. This is a very... I I definitely am interested to see what happens next with this whole thing. I want to know where Joe Madden goes next, too. Because doesn't that say something about that organization now? Like, wherever organization Madden goes to, knowing what he said in his article, when Joe Madden gets his next jab, job, you, Mike Gill, are you going to turn around and say... He's 68 years old, by the way. Well, Tony LaRusso is, what, 10 years old? Just saying, he's, 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 I mean, you know, he's almost 70 years old. How many teams? Now, it seems that the new thing to do is to hire these older... Like, Buck Showalter's back, Tony yep. LaRusso's back, Dusty Baker got a job and is winning. People, are, by the way, are very complimentary of some of these older managers. There's a lot of people on different platforms who are saying, hey, it's a good thing the Mets hired Showalter and the White Sox hired La Russa and Dusty Bakers in Houston because these guys have stabilized these organizations. Yeah, this says, late in the 2015 season, Madden's first with the Cubs, the team's front office shared a dinner, and the topic turned into the impact of the manager. Staffers took turns guesstimating how many wins he had effectively added. The numbers were substantial, and the fact that they even had such a discussion in a time in baseball when managers are seen as less important than ever. They're saying that it was less important because of the analytics that these managers aren't putting together the lineups. Which gets back to, you know, how much... Of what you saw in the month of May was Joe Girardi's fault, and how much wasn't? Yeah, that's it's definitely interesting. I, I I'm keeping my eye on what happens with this. Not so much where Madden goes if he gets another job, but do more people come out and agree with Madden? And if I can jump in real quick, one more thing. You said in the two o'clock hour, Mike, that you're on the Sports Bash. You said that. You were looking at Rob Thompson after the game last night, and you were seeing him in the post game, and you heard the locker room, you heard the music, you heard the activity, and you were wondering, was the real reason why they got rid of Girardi had nothing to do with the lineups or anything? It had to do with just the vibe he put forth, the environment, the fact that he was maybe too stiff to all these things, you know. Is that really the value of a manager? Well, we talked about this in the 3 o'clock hour with Ryan when we went back and forth on this, which was, I think, a baseball manager, part of its biggest part of their job is the power of positive. Baseball is a game where positive thoughts have to be in your head. Mm -hmm. If you're not a positive thinker, right, if you're not a positive-minded baseball player, you're going to fail. You know, 0 for 4 can turn into 0 for 14 really fast. Right. You have to be able to put away that you went over four and that's just one game. Because if you think about over four the next day, you're going to be over eight. And if you think about over eight, you're going to be over 12. And if you think you're over 12, you're going to be over 16 really fast. So was Joe Girardi not giving these guys positive thinking, positive thoughts? Were they always walking on eggshells? 
It's very possible because you know what? Rob Thompson may look like a curmudgeon, but he seems to have the guys, you know, playing for him and they seem to be happy. Uh, I'm going to. I'm very interested to see if some of the reporters ask other managers, hey, did you see what Joe, uh, Joe Madden had to say about analytics and it's getting shoved down your throats? Do you, do you agree? Now, I don't think anybody's going to take the bait. Uh, by the way, Joe Madden, 19 years, uh, 1,382 wins, 1,216 losses, a uh, 532 win percentage in Tampa Bay, which had been a basically a perennial loser. They were a dump. The whole idea was is people people forget when they had that expansion draft, they 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 snagged Wade Boggs and Fred McGriff, remember? But didn't they have Greg Vaughn too at one point? Like it was like they were trying to win as fast as they could and the whole thing just blew up in their face. They were his first season sixty one and one oh one, sixty six and ninety six, and then they went to the World Series at ninety seven and sixty five. They went from 66 wins to 97. Following that 97-win season, though, 97, 84, 96, 91, 90, 92. We're talking about the Tampa Bay Rays here. So he won 90 games with the Rays, one, two, three, four, five times. Went to the Cubs and won 97, 103, 92, 95. And then at 84, that's when they finally pulled the plug on him. So in the five years he was in Chicago, he won 90 games three times and 100 games once. It's pretty darn good. So, yeah, this is a guy who certainly um, is pretty good as a baseball manager, has a pretty good resume. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. All right. Good conversation on... Madden's comments. Where will it lead? I will certainly be keeping my eyes on that. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. It's brought to you by the AC Airport. Plan your summer vacation now. Spirit Airlines is offering nonstop flights from Atlantic City International Airport to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. We'll look at some NFL Eagles OTA today. Jalen Hurts did this a couple of times today. That's next. Now, back to the Sports Bash. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. ESPN. All right, 534 Sports Bash Wednesday. Uh, Jalen Hurts today didn't have a lot of weapons to throw to, but was able to still kind of steal the show. A couple of 40-yard bombs to Quez Watkins. Got one to John Hightower. But it seemed that the message, Jeff Kerr, after today's uh, Eagles OTA, which is going to be the final OTA, I think they canceled tomorrow's uh, OTA, was that Hertz definitively looked like he had more zip and had more accuracy, much better decision-making early on. I know it's OTA 7-on-7, seven seven, but that seemed to be the theme for Nick Sirianni, Dallas Goddard, a couple other people all saying, yes, I can tell a difference uh, between the Hertz we got last year to this guy. 
Yeah, it's almost like, you know, you give a quarterback a, a year after a full season and he gets better. Isn't that the process of it? You know, he's still a young player. He's not even 25 yet. You know, Jalen Hurts is still developing. Uh, I, I think he just turned 24. I'm not even sure at this point. But, yeah, everything I was told today was he was excellent. He was great. And that's a great sign for the Eagles because they have a lot more weapons this year for to build around him. Yeah, I know that uh, one thing about the accuracy on the deep ball, can he launch it 40 yards down the field? Well, he had a couple of 40-yard passes today. He had Quez Watkins beat James Bradbury on a pass. John Hightower connected with him. So it's, I guess it's showing early that, yeah, they're going to take some shots. Now, a little disappointing, no A.J. Brown, no Devonta Smith. Those guys weren't there. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I get it. It's voluntary, and I'm sure – their excuse for whatever reason, they they get their respective days off, that's fine. But yeah, it, it's a shame when the media goes and you don't see those guys there. But again, they did see them there last week. And it, is it a bummer for fans? Yeah, I, I guess. But I try not to put too much stock in OTAs either Agreed. way. So, so I'm like, look, they don't have a mandatory minicamp. I'll see playing of A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith come <laughs> July. I, I totally agree. I just say this. You know, Devonta Smith has his uh, celebrity softball game that you were at the other night. If everybody showed up there, Jalen Hurts for your thing, Jalen Hurts showed up to the practice today, you would think he'd say, hey, guys, I'd like you to get out there with me. Yeah, you would think. I mean, not everybody is geared like Jalen Hurts. Uh, yeah, that's how I thought. I'm like, well, I can't really say, oh, they have the softball game, so they have a busy weekend. Well, no, I mean – I, it's weird to see Devonta Smith not being there. I don't know A.J. Brown or his demeanor or anything like that. I mean, he just got here. But it's weird to see a guy like Devonta Smith have an excused absence. And, again, it, it could be a charity. Th- it, you don't know. They don't need to explain it. But, I mean, I, maybe they – Maybe the Eagles just say, hey, you know what? Take the day off. Well, they're, they're not going to practice tomorrow. I mean, uh, Nick Sirianni, I guess, gave them they're supposed to. And he said, you know what? That's enough. Uh, it's a little surprising that the Eagles – are not utilizing all the practice time and, and and not using all the days that they have at their disposal here. This is like anti-Dick Vermeil, isn't it? I just watched Football Life with Dick Vermeil yesterday, and he was the guy who hard work, if you work, if you keep working hard, you're going to get results, and we're going to work harder and harder and harder if we fail. This guy's the opposite, and it seems to be working for him. So I, I think the players really respect that. I think the players... I think the players are going to enjoy that extra week off that they're going to get. But, yeah, it is awkward that you would think they would use tomorrow. You would think. But I guess you said, you know what? Take summer vacation early. Yeah, and I don't even know that there was all that much going on today either. It didn't sound like they did a whole heck of a lot in the time that they had today. One thing we did hear afterwards, though, was Isaac Sayamala. He's going to be one of the big stories. Uh, he essentially conceded that he lost, uh, he will not be the left guard, uh, but that he's in that battle for the right guard spot. So we know that that's one of the bigger storylines coming into training camp when they get there is Isaac Sayamala, Jack Driscoll, really, um, I don't know, do you put uh, Jurgens in that mix? I think Cam Jurgens will be in the mix, but the Eagles have 5.6 million reasons to just get rid of Isaac Samal and go with Jack Driscoll if they want to do that. And if Jack Driscoll beats Isaac Samal out, I think they will do that, or I think Isaac Samal will, will be a trade candidate. I mean, he still could be a trade candidate this offseason, but yeah, he's not the left guard anymore. Landon Dickerson won that job last year. Isaac Samal has been hurt a lot each of the last two years. Uh, this is the last year of his contract. We'll see what happens, Mike, but. You know, that's going to be an intriguing battle for sure. Isaac Samala, Jack Driscoll, and, and yeah, I'll throw Cam Jurgens in the mix just because I think the Eagles want to see what he can do besides play center. 
Uh, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports. Uh, I know a lot of people on social media talking about your rankings of the greatest defensive plays of Steelers players. Talking about them. Uh, what's that? Steelers fans are talking about them. <laughs> well, uh, the greatest uh, defensive players of all time. And this, you know, obviously uh, from the Aaron Donald contract that he signs the other day, where does he rank on that list? Well, you ranked the top 10 defensive players in NFL history. We could go through the list, but before we do that, are there which guys that did not make your list are you getting the most pushback on? Anybody from that 70s Steel Curtain defense. And I said to one Steelers blogger, aren't you guys satisfied with having the greatest defense ever? Like, do you need to have all the players on it too? Like, you got... Hall of Famers across the book and Joe Green, Jack Ham, you know, uh, Jack Lambert, <laughs> Mel Blunt. I, I could go through the list. I mean, really, everybody on the Steelers wants everybody on that defense in the Hall of Fame at some point. Uh, but again, it's it's hard because that era, there's not a lot of stats to back them up. And there are a lot of defensive ends or a lot of linebackers that just have ended up having more all pros than those great players. So if I was going by great defense, the greatest defense of all time, Absolutely a steel curtain. But this is great individual players. And I said to Joe Green stands, who are you putting him over? Are you putting him over Rich White? You're putting him over Bruce Smith? You're putting him over Deacon Jones? Because this this is top ten players, defensive players. This isn't top ten edge runners. Someone's gotta get cut. Well, your list of the top 10 defensive players in history was certainly better than that top 10 coaches list that was surfacing uh, the other day. Oh, yeah, uh, don't even get me started on that one, my media. <laughs> uh, but you went with um, Reggie White as the greatest defensive player of all time, but you made him a Packer. I didn't make him a Packer. That was our graphics department. He's, a, he's an eagle. Come on, Mike. I, that's one of my biggest arguments in life. Reggie White is an eagle. He had 124 sacks and 121 games with the Eagles. He averaged over a sack per game with them. Uh, you saw my tweet today. Reggie White's career with the Eagles. All pro, all pro, all pro, all pro. Double-digit sacks, all pro. He's he's a, He was an absolute monster with the Eagles. He he deserved if, – if Reggie White went to the Hall, Hall of Fame, he had – well, he did go all thing, but if if it was like baseball where you had to pick your team, he'd be an eagle. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, uh, so you had him number one as um, the top ten defensive players in NFL history. Now, the only guy on the list who was active, you had Aaron Donald on that list at number five. Were there any other active players that were considered? J.J. Watt got a lot of consideration for me, and it was tough because – I think the world of J.J. Watt. I know Texans fans got on me a bit for this, and I, I understand their point. I do. J.J. Watt from 2011 to 2015 was probably on one of the most dominant stretches for an edge rusher we've seen since Reggie White and Bruce Smith. He was that good. Three Defensive Player of the Year awards. You know, just completely transcended the game, getting 20 sacks. You know, but outside of the one full year he played, and again, it's a shame because injuries really hurt him. Aaron Donald almost has as many sacks as J.J. Watt does now. J.J. Watt only has 102 career sacks, which I was kind of shocked. I thought he had more than that, but he just hasn't played much over the last five years outside of that one year where he had 16 sacks and was comeback player of the year. And it, It's a shame because it, injuries have really derailed a, a career that probably could have been top five all time. All right, so number one, Reggie White. Uh, number two, maybe one of the most disruptive players that I ever witnessed uh, which was Lawrence Taylor. I mean, he was just an absolute disruptor. Um, 
man, for game changer. Yeah, absolute game changer. And I don't know that you'll ever see another guy like him. I don't think you will. And that's the thing when like I had some people arguing me. Well, Taylor should be number one. I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I mean, it was like one a one and one a. I mean, I just went by longer periods of dominance and what White was able to do in his 30s. You know, T- Taylor had a decade's worth of first battle Hall of Famer, greatest defensive player ever metrics. It's just the career just seemed to be too short, where that was his off-field incidents or just injuries or whatever it was, maybe because of the position he played and how violent he played it. But Well, you're talking about like, a time where teams played. Lawrence Taylor was a 3-4 outside linebacker. I mean, you don't see four linebackers on the field anymore. No, you don't. And it's funny. I think the only thing that could stop Lawrence Taylor was either Lawrence Taylor or Randall Cunningham. That seemed to be the only – a mobile quarterback. That seemed to be the only things that could stop Lawrence Taylor. And I guarantee you if Lawrence Taylor playing today's NFL, he'd have an answer for those mobile quarterbacks. Well, and I then, think he could play in any era. And then at number three, you have Ray Lewis. And you just said, I think uh, Lawrence Taylor could play in any uh, era. What about that style of linebacker, Ray Lewis? Just a pure mill linebacker. Um, you know, the guy was a winner – uh, for the Baltimore Ravens defense, he was just a true leader for them. Again, the only player with 40 sacks and 30 career interceptions. It's, I mean, I, I think him winning the Defensive Player of the Year award on arguably the greatest single season defense in NFL history had a lot to do with it. And, you know, he, he could have won MVP awards himself. I think he ended up with two Defensive Player of the Year awards. I'm trying to remember how much, how many of them Ray Lewis won, but he walked out the winner too at 37, you know, with, with the Ravens. And he was a pro bowler. He was an all pro for a lot of years. It's just Ray Lewis redefined that position. So sure you did. had to go Ray Lewis in the top three. Uh, you went Deion Sanders, number four, prime time. It was definitely a game changer. If you watch the game, uh, there'd be some weeks where you never saw them because no one ever threw at them. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think the, so, there were some games that Deion Sanders played. You probably saw more on the offensive side of the ball, the Cowboys throwing on the defensive side of the ball because everybody was afraid to throw it on me. Still able to get his picks. He was a true shutdown corner. You know, it's not like – yeah, he had a lot of help. I mean, he had great players like Darren Woodson and stuff like that, but – Do you do you think he was helped, you know, that he left Atlanta? I think so. You know, the yeah. fact that he ended up in Dallas and uh, San, Francisco San Francisco and won – you know, being in Atlanta, he was more of a flashy guy. You know, Atlanta in the 90s, you know, everybody, you know, they changed their uniforms from red to black, and that was kind of like the cool thing. He was more of like the cool player on this team that nobody really talked much about, and then he went to championship teams. I think that really put him over the top. I think so, too. And, yeah, it's no coincidence his two best years were 94 with the 49ers and 95 with the Cowboys. You know, he went back-to-back Super Bowls with two different teams, I mean, that that's extremely impressive. I mean, and you're right. With the Falcons, he was prime time. He was doing the baseball stuff. And, you know, like you say, he was a cool guy, you know, with the bandana. But then he goes over to the 49ers and it's like, oh, this guy's a winner. You oh, remember, do you remember the Falcons quarterback at that time? For at that time? For the uh, Deion Sanders uh, Falcons, the quarterback of the Falcons was? Ooh, Hold on a second. It wasn't Bobby. Bobby Haybear was later. Yeah, he so came trying, after. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that era. Hold on a second. I don't have enough time for radio for this, but no. you probably know it right off the top of your head. But I'll say, oh, well, man. I wouldn't have asked you if I didn't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm drawing a blank. Who was it? 
Chris Miller, man. Yeah, Chris Miller. That that's it. That's who I was trying to. I was like, was it Chris Miller or was he before him? But yeah, yeah, Chris Miller in there. Um, Chris Chandler, by the way, I think had a little uh, cup of coffee playing quarterback during that era as well. All right, number. He was, the, he was our Super Bowl quarterback. Yes, he was, but Dion wasn't on that team. Uh, yeah. Aaron Donald five, Deacon Jones six, Dick Butkus seven, Bruce Smith. Eight, and that was an era where Reggie White, Bruce Smith, you had um, uh, Leonard uh, Dexter Manley and guys like that. I mean, there was a lot of great defensive ends at that time. Uh, Rod Woodson, number nine, and Ronnie Lott, number 10. I want to add, because Ronnie Lott, you wonder if he could play safety in today's game or would he be a linebacker? I think he'd play both. I, I think they'd find a way to have him play both. I mean, he was a really good uh, ball hawk, too. You know, people seem to forget that. He led the league in their receptions twice. It's I think Ronnie Lott could play in today's games. I, I, I think Rob Woodson could. Remember, Rob Woodson started as a quarterback and then moved to safety, and he was just as good at safety as he was at quarterback. wasn't like the all-pro player, but he was still making his Pro Bowls. And But, yeah, Ronnie Lott, it's – you know what, like, I forgot Ronnie Lott even played for the Jets when I was writing this up. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. He was a Jet for a couple of years. But nope, you just rattled my brain with that one. Right? Uh, all right, Jeff Kerr, check out uh, the rankings and his explanations over at CBS Sports, at Jeff Kerr, CBS. And, of course, uh, the Eagles OTAs are finished. They are done for a while now. Uh, they will not be back on the field. July 26th is when training camp begins. All right, Jeff, we will catch up with you soon, man. Yeah, sounds great. I'm going to Vegas next week, Mike. Cannot wait. I've never been. Tell me all about it. Oh, I will. I'll be sending you pics. <laughs> All right, brother. <laughs> Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports here on the Sports Bash. We close out tonight's show next. Now, back to more For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. On 97.3 South Jersey's sports leader. All right, getting ready to wrap up a uh, Wednesday show. Got NBA Finals tonight. You got um, Phillies. Hockey's on the west side done. East Coast tomorrow. Game 5, 2-2. Tampa wins last night. They tie it up. I think it's serious going seven? Yep. Me too. It's either going seven or Tampa wins the next two. I think it goes seven. Me too. I said yesterday I thought the Rangers looked like the better team all of a sudden. They looked like the faster team. Even in the loss the other day, they looked like the faster team. They did. They Guys like Zabinijad, I mean, they're phenomenal skaters. But listen, the Lightning got the experience. I think that Kucherov... Um, that Kucherov line has been incredible this postseason. I think that him and Patala have done a great job complimenting each other. Uh, we had the um, announcer schedule podcast. I recorded the uh, third episode that drops tomorrow morning. I talked to uh, John Forslin, the uh, play-by-play voice. He is the voice of the Eastern Conference Final. Uh, he had a very interesting journey that he told us about. Uh, he is the Seattle Kraken play-by-play guy. So if you're into... Um, Announcers, who announces the games, the assignments, all that kind of stuff. Uh, my guy who does it with me is a guy named Phil DeMont Mullen. 
He's got the Twitter handle, at AnnouncerSkeds. Got about 20,000 Twitter followers. Uh, so we put together this podcast, and uh, it's been doing pretty well so far. So I uh, ask everybody to go download it, check it out, subscribe. It's at uh, SportsMediaWatch.com. It's a national pod, and we've got a lot of national people following. In fact, Mark Kessinger just retweeted us, Monica McNutt as well. No P.J. Carlissimo on the call tonight, death of his brother. So it's going to be Doris Burke, Mark Kessinger, and Monica McNutt is the sideline reporter. You can hear that game tonight on 97.3 ESPN. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.